1: Hi y'all, it's Pepsi Mama coming with you, uh, for another, uh, arts program. Arts being the afternoon radio theater Sunday, like ice cream Sunday. And I'm glad to have you here with me and, uh, here is, and alongside me is my cohort, Victor Guevara. Hello. And, <laughs> hey, now that's a good strong hello everybody. I like that. Sometimes he's kind of weak, <laughs> but uh, anyway, we hope you like what you hear. And um, if you do, hit your like buttons on your Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all that. Uh, follow us. Um, you uh, on Twitter, you can find us at Blind Who's the at sign followed by B L I N D W H O S E. Um if you want to do Facebook or YouTube, it's simply um Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway. Um if you want to email us with questions or comments or suggestions, what have you. Um do uh afternoon radio theater sunday s u n d a e at gmail.com that's afternoon radio theater sunday s u n d a e at gmail.com and uh, i'm always happy to hear your comments um and your suggestions what you want to hear uh Today what we're doing is uh, Lux Radio Theater And I hope you'll forgive me guys But my allergies are really killing me today We got uh, here in the Southern Hemisphere We are dealing with springtime allergies Southern already Southern U.S. What, what did I say? Hemisphere <laughs> well that's what it that's what it feels like southern hemisphere anyway uh we're all being um uh, broke down with allergies this week. My doctor said yesterday said she had more calls for allergies already this year than than she had in a long time, but uh if you wanna, you can find us on any podcast player, uh, except Audible. They're snooty, so, uh, but you can find us on, um, oh, what is that thing? Oh, Spotify, uh, Qcast, uh, just wherever you get podcasts except Audible. I think you can find it anywhere. This first program that I'm doing it's called The Show Off. And uh if you think Harold Perry was a mess in the Gilders the Great Gildersleeve, wait till you give this a listen. I'd be happy to hear what you think. Here we go. Presents Hollywood.
2: radio theater brings you the great Gildersleeve, Una Merkel, and Beulah Bondi in The Show Off. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille.
3: Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. The night Fibber McGee and Molly introduced a new character into their show called Gildersleeve. I'm sure no one could have foreseen the fantastic success story to which we add another chapter tonight. Mr. Gildersleeve made a great hit with Fibber and Molly's audience and soon had a radio program of his own. Then came a series of pictures at RKO. And tonight, we've cast him in one of the great comedy hits of the American theater. It's George Kelly's famous play, The Show-Off. And to show off the great Gildersleeve in a proper setting we've co-starred him with Una Merkel and Beulah Bondi. You'll find another name on Gildersleeve's birth certificate, Harold Perry, to be exact, but Mr. Perry has been swallowed up by Mr. Gildersleeve to the great enjoyment of the American people. In the show-off, he plays Aubrey Piper, a gentleman with a talent for getting into trouble. Witness the case of his brother-in-law's invention, which you'll hear more about in just a moment. Some inventors are remembered by everyone. The names of others are lost in the fog of time. The airplane, the electric light, the wireless, any school child knows who was responsible for them. But nobody knows who invented the wheel or who invented soap. Yet someone did invent soap hundreds of years before it reached the level of perfection that's called Lux Toilet Soap. i leave it to you. How many modern inventions would you give up before you do without soap? In research for a picture about Cleopatra, which I made a few years ago, I discovered that she had several ladies in waiting whose job it was to help her keep beautiful. But all the wealth and power of the ancient queen of Egypt didn't serve her half as well as the queen of any American home is served by a cake of Lux toilet soap. But now the show goes on with the show-off. And here's the first act, starring the great Gildersleeve as Aubrey Piper, Una Merkel as Amy, and Beulah Bondi as Mrs. Fisher. It's eight o'clock on a Wednesday evening, and Amy Fisher is aflutter with excitement. Eight o'clock Wednesday is a big moment in Amy's life. For at ten after, a certain party will ring the doorbell of the little frame house near Philadelphia. Hurriedly, she dabs a powder puff at her nose, and then, hearing the front door open, she rushes to the head of the stairs.
4: Mama? Mama, was that the door? Yes, it was. It was your sister. Oh. Mama, when the bell rings, let me answer it. Hello, Clara. How's Frank? All right. Mama, did you see my blue bar pin? It was in my drawer. Well, look in the drawer. I haven't seen it. What's all the excitement, Mama? Wednesday night. Oh. Is that fellow still coming here? Oh, right on the dot, such as he is. It looks like a steady thing, Clara. You never in your life heard anybody talk so much. I don't know how Amy stands him. Your pop can hardly stay in the room where he is. Well, doesn't she take him into the parlor? She does, yes, but she might just as well leave him out here because he's not in there five minutes till he's out here in the kitchen again talking about politics. (laughs) You'd think he knew something about it. And the investment business. He's always talking about that, too. That's where he works, you know, the Billings Investment Company. He says he's head of the sales department. But I says to your brother Joe, I says, (laughs) I don't know how he can be head of anything from the talk of him. Joe says he's a nut, (laughs) but you don't dare say anything to Amy about him. Oh, no. She thinks he's heaven's gift to the Fisher family. And for all she knows about him, he could be a tramp in the park, said with the Billings Company.
5: Well, that's where he works, though, Mom. How do you
4: know? Frank knows him. You're Frank? Uh Uh-huh. He says he eats his lunch at the same place, there at 15th and Arch. And does he say he knows him? Why, sure. He says he's seen him around there for a long time. (laughs) Frank calls him Carnation Charlie. He says he's always got a big carnation in his buttonhole and carries a cane. That's the one. He's always got it on when he comes here too. I believe in my heart, Clara, that's what's turned your sister's head. Oh, my. Did Frank say what his name was? Aubrey Piper, I think. That's it. Aubrey Piper. <laughs> Sounds more like a place than a man's name. What does he do at Billings? He's a clerk. A clerk. I knew it. Head of the sales department. <laughs>
6: Hello,
4: Clara. Oh, hello, Pop.
7: Well, has that nut arrived yet?
4: Not yet, but he will.
7: I hope to heaven he stays in the parlor tonight. I want to read my paper. And if he slaps me
6: on the back once more, I'll kill him. That laugh of his. (laughs) Enough to drive a man crazy. What's that?
4: Must be Joe. He's down the cellar trying to fix the radio. Joe, is that you? Yeah. Give me a hand with a set, will you, Pop? Oh, I thought you was going to keep it downstairs. There isn't enough light.
8: Okay, thanks, Pop. Well, has that screwball come in yet?
2: <laughs> well, he certainly is a big hit with his family.
8: Laughing Louie. He's a first-class pest, that guy. Every time I'm working on something, he sticks his nose in it. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know that formula I've been working on to prevent rust? He got his nose into that the other night, too. Next time he does it, he's going to get sucked.
4: Oh, there he is now. Amy?
8: Put out the light in here and
6: shut the door. Maybe you'll think we've gone out.
4: Well, I've got to go. Well, go out the back door if you don't want to be here all night. Amy! Goodbye, Mom. Goodbye, Pop. Goodbye. Be quiet now. If he hears a voice in here, he'll pop in here like a jumping jack. Just a minute. Aubrey. Hello, Aubrey.
7: Greetings on you, little girl. How's every little thing? Hitting on all three?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Come in, Aubrey.
7: Right on the job, Amy. Ten minutes past on the dot. The pride of old West Philly never misses, no, sir.
4: I'll take your hat, Aubrey.
7: Anything to please the ladies. Here you are. And the boy rode off with many thanks and many a backward bow.
4: Oh, Oh, come on in the parlor, Aubrey. Uh,
7: One second, little gal. One little favor. Never again will I trouble the bell of old North Philly. How about a drink of the old aqua pura, huh? That's water to me.
4: <laughs> oh, of course, Aubrey. I'll be right back. Make yourself comfortable. Don't
7: you worry about me, little gal.
4: Amy, Amy, shut that door. Oh, what's the matter, Mom? I just want to get a drink of water for Aubrey.
7: Listen, Amy, I don't want that fellow popping in here. Oh, good evening, ladies and gents. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Stay right where you are, folks, right where you are. Going right out on the next train. How are you, little mother? Evening, Pop. Hiya, Joe. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Amy, step on the gas with the old Aquapura. Man's got to have a drink. How about it, Pop? You'll stay with me on that, eh, Pop? Listen, I don't like to be slapped on the back. Yes, sir, yes, sir. I want to tell you this is a very pretty little picture of domestic felicity. Father reading, mother knitting, and little old Joe Edison Fisher there working 18 hours a day to make the rich man richer and the poor man poorer. What about it, Popcorn? Am I right or raving? Will you let me alone or keep your hands to yourself, I never saw such a pest in my life. Oh, what's the matter with Popsy-Wopsy? Little office feed, eh, Mother Fisher?
4: Mm. Here's your water, Aubrey.
7: Uh, thank you, my dear. Blushing as she gave it, looking down at her feet so bare in her tattered gown. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How's that, Mother Fisher? Can't beat that little old Willie Shakespeare, now can you? No, sir, I'd like to tell the brothers that that little old Shakespeare party shook a wicked spear. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's laughter, ladies. And, Mr. Marconi, my best regards to you. Ah, very nice indeed. And a sweeter draught from a fairer hand was never quaffed.
4: Oh, you.
7: Well, Mr. Joseph, what are you doing? What are you doing, Joseph? I am fixing something. Oh, at it again, eh? The young inventor himself. Well, Mr. Joseph, I want to tell you, you're wasting your time. When you're all through, they'll offer you 20 cents for it and sell it for 20 million, take it or leave it, sign on the dotted line. Yes, sir. That's exactly what they did to little old yours truly here. Twenty Lincoln anacondas for a formula that would have solved the greatest problem before the industrial chemical world today. What kind of a formula? Why, a formula to prevent the rusting of iron and steel. A solution of vanadium and manganese to be added to the metal in its molten state instead of applied externally. Where did you hear that?
8: Uh, Hear what, my boy? About a rust preventative using vanadium and manganese. Little
7: idea of my own?
8: Yeah... You heard it right here in this room. I was talking about it last Sunday.
7: Oh, you thought of it too, eh? <laughs> well, just goes to show you, Joe, great minds running this same. Oh, safe. shut up. You give me a swift pain. I love that boy. <laughs> yes, Mother Fisher, that little boy of yours has got some great ideas. I was speaking to some of the men who work under me just the other day, Mother. I said, gentlemen, the inventive genius in this country is... Where are you going, Mother.
4: I got a touch of the same pain. Good night.
7: Must be an epidemic around here.
4: (laughs) Oh, um, uh, Aubrey. Aubrey, let's go in the parlor, shall we?
7: Yeah. You know, Amy, sometimes I get a funny feeling that your folks don't like me. Many brave hearts are asleep in the deep. So beware. Beware. Well. A uh, little high, I guess. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, uh... Yes, Mother, do you want something? I just wanted to tell you that it's nearly 12 o'clock. We're all going to bed around here.
7: Uh, I was just about to take my reluctant leave, little mother.
4: Well, I don't want to hurry you. Not
7: know. at all, not at all. In fact, the recent outburst was in the nature of a farewell concert. A little old song of twilight, you know, Mother Fisher, to soothe the savage beast. Yes. Yeah.
4: Come on, Aubrey, I'll walk to the gate with you.
7: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a beautiful night, all right.
4: Oh, isn't it?
7: Look at that moon up there, Amy. Mm. Is that a moon or is that a moon? I say it's a moon.
4: Oh, it's beautiful.
7: Yeah. You know, it's times like this when a man gets to thinking, Amy.
4: Does he, Aubrey?
7: Yes, sir. That old moon up there makes you think a lot of things. Mm. A man's got to be pretty careful. Oh, but when a man's knocked around the world like I have, a man gets pretty wise. When a man meets the right girl, a man knows he's met the right girl. Do you follow me?
4: I, I think so, Aubrey.
7: Amy, you think a married couple can be happy on $100 a week?
4: Oh, Aubrey, yes, I do.
7: Be nice if they had it, too.
4: <laughs> uh, Aubrey, uh, is, that, is that how much you... Uh... Well,
7: more or less, more or less. Right now, it's a little less. (laughs) But I'm thinking of putting over a deal, Amy, uh, just between us two, you know.
4: I don't think it makes any difference how much a man makes. I think when a girl cares for a man, uh, loves a man, that's all that counts. The only important thing in the world, or should be, even if he doesn't have a dime, don't you?
7: Well, I got two nickels.
4: (laughs) No, no. I mean, don't you think. Don't you think about love?
7: Oh, sure. Ever since I was 14, Amy... (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, it's a little old Cupid dart that counts.
4: And after all, you can't buy happiness, can you?
7: Definitely not. So they say. Well. Well? Uh, well. Uh, Amy, what do you think, huh?
4: About, you mean about...
7: Yeah, what do you say? Is it a go? Say yes, Amy. Say you'll pool your coffee ration with me.
4: Sorry. <laughs> You mean, will I marry you?
7: That's the general thought I'm trying to convey.
4: Oh, Aubrey. Yes, I will, Aubrey. Anytime you say.
7: <laughs> Amy. Amy Piper. Oh. <laughs>
4: I'm not going to let you do it. I won't stand for it. Oh, Mama, stop it. I'm going to marry him, and that's all there is to it. But you don't even know him. You don't know what he does or how much he makes or anything about him. I don't have to. I know I like him, and that's enough. All right. But remember this, Amy. Be sure that he keeps you and you keep him. And don't be coming around here for your pop to keep you. Mama, don't make me laugh. Aubrey's got a wonderful position. He makes plenty of money. Who says so? I just know from the way he talks. He makes at least a hundred (laughs) dollars a week. Who ever heard of a clerk making a hundred a week? A clerk? Where did you hear that? From Frank Highland. What does Frank Highland know about it? He knows, Aubrey Piper. And Frank says he's a clerk down there just like five million others. Oh, that just shows how much he knows about it. Aubrey told me he makes $100 a week, and what's more, he's going to swing a great big deal pretty soon. (laughs) The only thing he'll ever swing is that cane he carries. Amy, dear, I'm warning you once and for all. Oh, Mama. Why don't you let me make my own life? You took who you wanted, didn't you? And Clara took the man she wanted? Well, I'm going to take what I want, and I want Aubrey Piper.
7: You're like a raise, eh, Piper? Well, that's the general idea I was trying to convey, Mr. Williams. What for? Well, the way I figured is this a man's going to get married. Well, when a man gets married, he's got to have enough to support a wife, right? Right. And I figure about a hundred a week, maybe a little more. How much do you make now, Piper? Thirty five. <laughs> Not very much, Mr. Williams. No, it isn't. But this investment business isn't what it used to be either. Yes, sir, but 35 uh, is all you're worth, Piper. But Mr. Williams. From what I've seen of your ability, it's more than you're worth. Yes, sir. Now, I... would you like
3: thirty-five or nothing at all? No, sir. What I...
7: makes you think you're entitled to a raise? Well, I You don't have to get married, do you? No, sir. Then put it off for a while. Yes, sir, but I That's all, Piper. That's all. Goodbye. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hey, Piper. Yes, sir. Yeah. Huh? Look, how did it go? Where did you get the race? Oh, the race? Oh, yes. We talked it over, the boss and I. He, uh, he's going to sleep on it. I hope he has nightmares. Oh, gee, pretty lucky, Piper. Well, there's nothing to it if you got the right approach, Fred. I got in a good word for you, too. Yeah? Oh, gee, thanks. Well, I'll go to lunch now. Got to feed the old furnace, you know. See you around, Fred. Yeah. Hi, Aubrey. What'll it be? Hi, Sam. I'll have a ham on rye and a chocolate frosted. And don't spare the ice cream, Sam. Two scoops. Oh, two scoops. Sure. What do I care? That's a nickel extra, Aubrey. Slap it in there, Sam. You know Piper, the old sport himself. (laughs) Sure. One ham on, one frosted. Scoop it double.
4: Aubrey. Aubrey.
7: Amy, what are you doing way down here?
4: Aubrey, I have to speak to you.
7: Say, I'm glad you came, Amy. You know that deal I was talking about? Well, it didn't go through, honey. I mean... Aubrey, listen. So I was just thinking maybe if we could postpone getting home. That...
4: Aubrey, I've got to tell you, darling, it's awfully important. I've done it, Aubrey.
7: Huh? Done what?
4: I've done it. I've left home.
7: You left... Oh.
4: Oh, I just had to. I couldn't stand it anymore, and I just told Mama. I said, I'm leaving, Mama, and that's that.
7: You told Mama, huh? Oh. Well, I was just going to tell you, Amy, that deal. I mean, where are you going to live?
4: I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. I've burned my bridges, Aubrey.
7: You burn mine, too. <laughs> oh, well, I, I guess we better get married pretty soon, then, huh?
4: Oh... Aubrey, do you suppose we could?
7: Oh, sure. You just leave everything to me.
4: Oh, Aubrey, that'd be wonderful. And it doesn't really make any difference, does it? I mean, we were going to be married anyway, and, well, you make so much money and all, and, oh, Aubrey, tell me it's all right.
7: Oh, it's fine, Amy, it's fine. <laughs> just a minute. Hey, uh, Samuel. Samuel. Yeah? Cancel that extra scoop, will you? <laughs>
3: Act two of the show off, starring the great Gildersleeve as Aubrey Piper, Beulah Bondy as Mrs. Fisher, and Una Merkel as Amy. Six months have passed, and the romance of Amy and Aubrey has blossomed into marriage. Amy is too proud to admit it to her family, but she has discovered, as wives sometimes do, that her mate is more talk than action. He's not the head of his department, nor does he earn the expected one hundred dollars per week. And now, in the Piper kitchenette, the financial question has again reared its ugly head.
4: Bills, bills, bills! Aubrey, what are we going to do?
7: How's the coffee coming along, Amy? Boy can't be late to work, you know.
4: Aubrey, listen to me.
7: Sure, what's on your mind?
4: Aubrey, we've just got to get some money. We can't go on like this any longer. Why
7: not? We've been getting along fine.
4: Have we? Look at this. We owe thirty dollars to the butcher, twenty-three to the grocer, eight ten to the milkman, and the janitor was here about the rent again.
7: I'll speak to him on the way out.
4: On your way out is right. He's going to throw us out Friday.
7: You mean he's threatened us? Why he can't get away with that? I'll break the lease. That's what I'll do. Uh, how about a piece of toast, honey?
4: Aubrey, he can get away with it. We've got to pay up or get out.
7: All right, we'll get out. I never liked this place anyway. The bathtub gurgles. Have you got any peanut butter?
4: Aubrey, how can I make you understand?
7: Listen, honey, do me a favor. Will you forget about it? Everything's going to be fine.
4: Is it? How?
7: You just keep your eye on the boy from West Philly, that's all. Now, I didn't want to mention this, but I'm working on a deal right now that'll put us right up there on top. Where's the jelly?
4: What kind of a deal, Aubrey?
7: Never mind. You'll see. But
4: I want to know.
7: Well, it's a little idea I've had in the back of my head for a long time.
4: What idea?
7: It's pretty technical, Amy.
4: Aubrey, tell me. What
7: is it? Well... It's a rust preventative. A combination of magnesium and vanadium acid. Oh,
4: Aubrey, that's Joe's idea. That's the thing he's been working on for years.
7: Oh, beat me to it, eh? Well, the more power to him. Oh,
4: Aubrey.
7: Ah, uh, good evening to you one and all. Hello, Mother Fisher.
4: Oh, hello. It's you,
7: is it? What's the good word, Mother? Been siphoning out any gas tanks lately? <laughs> Where's Amy? Is she here?
4: No, ain't she home?
7: No, I just came by there.
4: Well, she ain't been here today.
7: Yeah, uh, she was saying this morning. She thought she'd go out and look for a house today. I suppose she hasn't got back yet. I wanted to take her to the movies. I got the loan of Harry Albright's car.
4: Did you say she was out looking for a house?
7: Yeah, we gotta get out of that place we're in. The Acme Machine people have bought the whole block. They're going to put up a new factory there.
4: How soon do you have to get out?
7: Friday. I mean, as soon as we can find another place.
4: Well, I'm afraid you won't find it so easy to get a place as reasonable as that again in a hurry.
7: I don't want a place as reasonable as that. I want a real home, Mamma Mia. Something with ground around it. Or I can do a bit of tennis in the evening.
4: Well, if you do, you'll pay for it.
7: That's exactly what I expect to do, Mother Fisher. Uh, not giving you a short answer, of course. That's exactly what I expect to do. And no more of the old first-of-the-month business for this growing boy. He's all washed up, signed on the dotted line. I'm going to buy, Mother.
4: Buy? Buy what?
7: A house, Mother Fisher. A real little home. You ought to go out along the boulevard some Sunday. Some fine little buys out there.
4: Hmm. Well, there's no danger of your going out along the boulevard except for a walk.
7: Well, a lot of people out that way, Mother. And a man's got to live someplace.
4: Well, if he's wise, he'll live where he's able to pay for it. Besides, you haven't got any furniture for a house. Unless you don't mind sitting on the floor.
7: The matter of furniture nowadays, little mother, is a very inconsequential item.
4: It still costs money, don't it?
7: Money, money. That's something that never worries me.
4: I know, but it worries me. How are you going to buy furniture when you haven't got any money to even buy a house?
7: Uh, Don't fret, Mater. There's things in the wind. Things in the wind.
4: Well, there ought to be. There's plenty of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
7: Plenty of what, mother?
4: Plenty of wind.
7: Yeah. Uh, Right there with the old sense of humor, eh? (laughs) Well, I guess I'll mooch along.
4: Yes, mooch.
7: Oh, say. If Amy calls, tell her I got the loan of Harry Albright's car. Fred Myers and I will meet her in front of the Rivoli at 8 bells.
4: I suppose you mean 8 o'clock, don't you?
7: Give the lady a cigar, Professor. Well, cheerio, Mrs. Whistler. Who? Mrs. Whistler. Man's dream of an ideal mother.
4: Oh, shut up, you fool. Go on, mooch.
7: Yeah, (laughs) Cheerio, gal. Many brave hearts are asleep in the deep. Hello, Aubrey. Well, well, Jojo the dog-faced boy. How's the lad? Uh, Oh, I'm okay, fine. What's the matter, Joe? You look excited. Well, I am, in a way. Look, Aubrey, can you keep your mouth shut about something? You can trust me, Jose. Sphinx Piper, my friends call me. What? Sphinx, Sphinx. Oh. Uh. Well, Joe, what's the big secret? Well... I sold it. Sold it? Sold what?
8: My invention, the rust preventative. No. Yeah. I was down at the Miller Grant office all day. I went over the whole thing with them. and we're going to tie it all up Monday morning. Nice work, Mr. Joseph. I hope you got yourself a good slice of the old moolah. I think it's all right. They're going to give me $50,000 for it. (whistles) $50,000?
7: Well, not bad, not bad. Uh, First offer, I suppose. First and last. I'm grabbing it. Don't be a sucker, Joe. Give him the old hard-to-get treatment. They'll come through with twice that Oh,
8: morning.
7: no, this is too good to fool around with. Anyway, I'm satisfied. You know, we can do a lot with that money. We certainly can. I was talking about the family. Oh, the family, yes, of course. That's what I meant. <laughs> but I still think you could get more, Joe. What you need is somebody to go in there and talk to those guys. Somebody oh, to... cut it out, William. I'm satisfied. I'm sorry I mentioned it to you at all. Hey, Aubrey, what do you say? It right there, Fred. Well, best of luck, Joe, my boy. Don't forget now. Don't say anything about it. Mum's the word, Joe. Mum's the word. Hey, Aubrey, I thought you said you knew how to drive. What's the matter, Fred? We're getting there, aren't we? Yeah, but I hate to think what Harry's car's going to be like. Don't you worry about the car, Fred. Everything's under control. Yeah, so I hear. It's got a slipping clutch, that's what it is. Hey, that's a red light. You better stop. Uh Yeah. Oh, boy, Aubrey, you're about the world's worst. I think i better get out and walk. Oh, we'll be there any minute. Just let that little old light give me the go-ahead, Fred, and we'll be zipping on our way. Ah, here we go. Hey, what? What's the matter? Look out for that car. Look out. Look out. Oh! Did you see that guy? He cut right in front of me. Listen, i That was a police car. what? A police car. You slammed right into a police car. All right, right, right.
6: Keep moving there. Move along. Hey, you.
7: Good evening, officer. Uh, Had a little brush here. Uh, Nothing serious, I hope, eh? Oh, no, no. You just knocked three of our wheels off, that's all. I'd like to take a sock at that dope. Where is take it easy, Mike. You go along and have that arm fixed. I'll take care of this fellow. Go along now. All right, but you better report about the car. Don't worry, Mike. Uh, Did that other gendarme get hurt? Oh, no, I think it's just a little matter of a broken arm Nothing serious, as you say Uh, Broken arm? Well, how did that happen? I'm not sure, but I think he was waving to a friend He threw it out of joint (laughs) (laughs) Very good All right, let's see your license Uh, License? Uh, license Oh, you mean my driver's license You know
8: what I mean Oh,
7: sure Uh, Let me see now Uh, That's not it Uh, That's not it Oh, uh, my draft card 4PH PH? Positively hopeless. <laughs> they ain't kidding either. You yeah. got me that time. Now, let's see. Come uh, on, come on. Give me your license. Uh, well, officer, I'll tell you the truth. You beat me to it by three days. What are you talking about? Well, I've been meaning to get a license for some time. As a matter of fact, I was going down there for one next Tuesday. I. Just a minute. Am I hearing things? Are you trying to tell me that you don't have a license? <laughs> you got me again, officer. I've got you, all right. Get out of that car. I,
4: clock. I can't understand it. I waited at the movies for over an hour he wasn't going to come, he would have called here, wouldn't he? Don't ask me what he'd do. I'm beginning to get worried. He says you've got to get out of that place you're in. Yes, yes, that's what I was doing today, looking around for something. Did you see anything? Oh, I saw a couple of places that were fair, but they want too much money. You're not really looking for a house, are you, Amy? Yes, if I can find one. Aubrey says he will not live in rooms any longer, and he doesn't want to pay rent. He wants to buy. Amy, I thought you had a little sense, but you're nearly as bad as him. You talk awfully silly, Mother. You'd think everybody that was married was living out in the street. Well, that's where a good many of them would be living, Amy. Only that somebody belonging to them is giving them a hand. You're everlasting borrowing as it is. Well, I always pay it back, don't I? Well, you do when you get it, but that's not the point, Amy. It's that what you get one week don't last you till the next. Oh, Mother, let me alone. If you're trying to make me say I'm sorry I married Aubrey, well, I'm not. I'm glad I married him, and I wouldn't change him for anyone else I ever met in my life. So there. All right, Amy. But someday that man's going to bring trouble on us. I can feel it in my bones. He won't bring trouble. And if he does, it'll be between him and me. You don't have to worry. All right. All right, Amy. <laughs> Is that you, Joe? It's me, Mom. Oh, hello, Clara. What you doing here? Well, I, I don't know. Isn't Frank here? You're Frank? He called up the house and said, I'd better get right over here. It was something about Aubrey. What about Aubrey? Well, I don't know. I couldn't understand what he was saying. Oh, I hear you moving, Amy. Yes, we are. We want A house? A house?
5: Oh, Amy, if you can't pay your rent where you
4: are, how do you expect to pay more? How do you know I'm not able to pay my rent where I am? Now, don't you start a fight, Amy. Oh, but I'd just like to know what business it is of hers. Whether I can pay my rent or not, nobody's asking her to pay it. Oh, no? Well, your husband's been to Frank Highland twice already to pay it. What? That's a lie. It is not. He's asked him twice and got it, too. Till I put a stop to it Mama, make her take that back I won't, it's true Now you hush up, both of you I guess if Clara says it's true, Amy, she must know And it just goes to prove what I say Oh, (laughs) let me alone (laughs) I told her I told her that man would start trouble Well, now who should
7: arrive? Oh, buenas noches, little mother Uh, is Amy here?
4: For land's sake, what's happened to you? What's that bandage on your head?
7: Uh, bandage? Oh, yes, yeah, nothing to get upset about beginning to rain outside, Mother.
4: Never mind the rain. The rain didn't do that to you. I guess you ran into somebody, didn't you? <laughs>
7: don't get excited, Mama. I had just a little misunderstanding on the part of the traffic officer. You
4: don't mean to tell me that you ran into a traffic officer.
7: <laughs> Control now, little Mother. I assure you there's no occasion for undue solicitation. Good evening, Clara.
4: What happened to your head?
7: Uh, the various trifle, Mrs. Highland. Just a little spray from the windshield. <gasps>
4: Where's that car you borrowed? Smashed, I guess, ain't it?
7: The car I borrowed, Mother Fisher, is now in the hands of the bandits of the law the judicial gentlemen who collect fines for motorists by ordering them to go one way and then swearing they told them to go another.
4: Never mind your fancy talk. I want to know who you killed and where is the automobile that someone was fool enough to lend you.
7: The automobile, little mother, is perfectly safe, parked and pasturing in the courtyard of the police station.
4: So you got arrested.
7: Well, I accompanied the officer as far as the station house, yes. And while I was there, I told them a few things about the condition of traffic in this city.
4: I guess they told you a few things, too, didn't they?
7: Uh, repeat the question, please. Oh, shut up. Yes.
4: What did they do, fine you?
7: Well, they were all set to fine me. But When I got through with them, they didn't have a leg to stand on. So they trumped up a charge of driving an automobile without a license.
4: <gasps> did they take the automobile away from
7: you? Nothing of the sort. They simply complied with the usual procedure in a case of this kind, which is to release the defendant on bond pending the extent of the victim's injury.
4: So there was somebody injured.
7: Uh, the traffic cop that ran into me.
4: For heaven's sake, couldn't you find anybody but a traffic cop to run into?
7: I didn't run into him, Mother. You don't understand the circumstances of the case. Well,
4: I understand this much. They can give you ten years for a thing like that, and it'd just serve you right if they did, too. Borrowing people's automobiles and knowing no more about running them than I do.
7: No time like the present to learn, Mother.
4: Well, you'll have plenty of time from now on if that officer's seriously injured.
7: Uh, He was faking a broken arm around there when I left. It's a wonder to me the poor goof wasn't signed on the dotted line. He ran head-on right into me.
4: Did they take the cop to the hospital?
7: Eh, I believe they did.
4: Oh, Oh, great. Aubrey, what happened to you? Well,
7: well, a little woman herself. Hi, Amy.
4: What is it, Aubrey?
7: Nothing in the world, baby. I had a little mix-up on Broad and Avenue. You
4: didn't get hurt,
7: did you? Nothing but a scratch on the medulla obligato. (laughs) Just a little shake-up.
4: He nearly killed a traffic officer. That's how much of a shake-up it was. You didn't, Aubrey, did
7: you? Certainly not, Amy. Your mother's raving. The
4: man's in the hospital. I don't know what more you want. Is he,
7: Do You think I'd be here if he was?
4: You wouldn't be here only that someone was fool enough to bail you out instead of letting you stay there where you couldn't be killing people. Are you out on bail, Aubrey?
7: They always bail a man in a case like this, Amy. They got my car on their hands. I just got to call around for it Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock.
4: I guess you just got to go down there to a hearing Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock and pay your fine. I guess that's the automobile you've got to call for. How much did they find you, Aubrey? They
7: didn't find me at all.
4: They'll do that Tuesday.
7: Yeah, time will tell that, Mother Fisher.
4: How much bail did they put you under, Aubrey?
7: One thousand berries, Amy.
4: A thousand dollars?
7: That's regulation. Little chicken feed for the stool pigeons.
4: Did you say a thousand? thousand dollars.
7: That's what I said, Mother Fisher. One thousand trifles. I wouldn't kid you.
4: You wouldn't kid anybody that listened to you for five minutes. And who did you get to go a thousand dollars bail for you?
7: Don't be alarmed, little mother. I saw that the affair was kept strictly within the family.
4: What do you mean?
7: Your other son-in-law was kind enough to come forward. Do
4: you... do you mean my husband?
7: That's the gentleman, Clara, Mr. Francis X. Highland. Oh, not not oh, very kind. Ladies, oh. Oh. ladies, ladies,
9: oh.
4: Aubrey, don't you think you'd better go to bed?
7: In a minute. I'm thinking, Amy.
4: Is your head hurting you?
7: I'm not thinking that hard. Besides, it's just a couple of little scratches.
4: Aubrey, what do you think they'll do to you down there Tuesday?
7: I don't worry about that, sweetie.
4: Oh, but they're getting awfully strict. What if that traffic cop is hurt bad?
7: Oh, it'll only be a fine for reckless driving, even if they could prove it was reckless driving. then I can prove it was the officer's fault. Well, they'll be very likely apologizing to me around there Tuesday morning instead of fining me.
4: Oh, I wouldn't care if they only fined you, Aubrey, because I could go back to work until it was paid.
7: You'll never go back to work, kid, while I'm on the boat.
4: I wouldn't mind it, Aubrey.
7: Not while you're my wife, Amy. I'm the provider around here.
4: You don't think they might do anything else to you, do you, Aubrey?
7: Oh, they might try to take away my license.
4: You haven't got a license, have you?
7: That's where I fooled them.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Aubrey... Aubrey, what is it they send them to prison for?
7: Look, Amy, everything's okay. I've got the whole thing worked out in my mind right now. All I've got to do is pay that little old fine, and I'm as free as the air. Why, it's a cinch.
4: How much will the fine be?
7: Well, I can't tell. Maybe that thousand berries.
4: A thousand dollars? Where will you get a thousand (laughs) dollars?
7: Now, stop it. Stop it, honey. Look, I'll have that thousand dollars Monday. It's a breeze.
4: A thousand dollars Monday? Sure. How?
7: Look. Look. If a fellow was going to sell something for $10, see, yes. and I knew it was worth at least $20, see, well, if I went to the men who were going to buy it for $10 and I convinced them they ought to pay $20, well, I'd be entitled to a commission now, wouldn't I? At least 2%. 2% of the difference, sign on the dotted line, and I got my 1000 bucks.
4: But, Aubrey, well, that would mean that, that you'd have to sell something for, for $100,000.
7: That's the ticket, Amy.
4: You mean that somebody's selling something for $50,000 and that you can get $100,000 for
7: it? Amy, it's a cinch. <laughs> Well, what do you say, little lady? Mr. Miller, ready to see me yet?
4: Let's see now. You're Mr. Piper, aren't you?
7: That's the name, little lady. Just tell him I'm here about Mr. Fisher's invention.
4: Oh, I told him that already, Mr. Piper.
7: Oh, thank you, little lady. I don't know what I'd do without you.
4: Oh, you go on. No,
7: you go on. (laughs) Miss Gray?
4: Uh, Yes, Mr. Miller?
7: I'll see Mr. Piper now.
4: Uh, Yes, sir. That door over there, Mr. Piper.
7: Oh, thank you, thank you. Many brave hearts are asleep in the deep, so deep. Ah, oh, good morning, Mister Miller. Morning, come in. Piper's the name, Aubrey Piper. How do you do? Sit down. Thank you, Mister Miller. I've come to see you about the rust preventative. So I hear. Well, where is Mister Fisher? He was going to be here at eleven to sign the papers. So I came at ten. The signing of the papers can wait, I think. Oh, are you an interested party in this deal, Mister Piper? Well, slightly, yes. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm Mister Fisher's business advisor. Oh, I see. Well, he's a fortunate young man. Oh, very fortunate. And that's what I like to see, Mr. Miller. A young man getting someplace, pulling himself up by the seat of his pants. Yes, Mr. Miller, it's the American inventive genius that's put this country where it is today. And I'm here to state that every right-thinking citizen has the duty, no, sir, the privilege, of doing everything in their power to help the growing boy along. Am I right or wrong? Shake it up, brother. Shake it up. Uh, Just a moment, please. Yes. Uh, Now, now, let's not beat around the bush. I'm a man of a few words, Mr. Miller, and I can see that you are, too. Now, what I like to do is come straight to the point, sign on the dotted line, wrap it up, and take it away. Now, you know what this boy has done? Just one little idea, you say. One simple operation. That's true, Mr. Miller, but we can't pass it off like that. Oh, no. Now, you're a businessman, Mr. Miller. Your time is valuable, and so is mine. So let's settle right down now. Uh, Here, Just what are you talking about? Mr. Fisher's invention. What else? Well, you're a little late. We went all over this with Mr. Fisher last week. We're giving him $50,000 for it this morning. Now, you have hit it, Mr. Miller. Right on the old button. $50,000. $50,000. dollars—a paltry, measly, contemptible... Shame on you, Mr. Miller. What's that? Think of it. Put yourself in this boy's place. $50,000 is a very fair price. Not for genius, Mr. Miller. Genius is priceless. And I'm here to now stay... wait, wait, please. I might understand that you'd like to call this deal off. Now, now, Mr. Miller, don't you jump to conclusions. We want you to have this invention, but at a fair price. All right, Mr. Piper, let's have your proposition. Thank you, Mr. Miller. In the first place, we want $100,000 on the line as an advance. Oh, really? A check will do, but cash won't hurt. Number two, the Miller Grant Company will have to sell it at their own expense. I see. And number three, we want one half the net on every gallon sold as a royalty. There you are, Mr. Miller. That's our proposition, and a fairer one you couldn't find. Am I right or wrong? Shake it up, brother. Shake it up. Mr. Piper, I'm afraid you're wrong. Yet, Huh? I said you're wrong. Now listen here.
8: I'll do the talking now. Who do you think you are walking in here trying to bulldoze me out of $50,000? We made a fair price, and we were ready to stand by it. But I don't like the way you do business, Mr. Piper.
7: And you can go back and tell Mr. Fisher that he can thank you for this deal falling through. Now, what was that? The deal is off. We won't give you a lead nickel. Now, now, wait. I'm
8: sorry, Mr. Piper. Good morning. But, But you can't do this. Oh, yes, I can. There were no papers signed,
7: and there won't be any papers signed. I get out, Mr. Miller. You're making a terrible mistake. Will you please get right, out? Now let's be reasonable, huh? We'll come down a little bit. Make it seventy-five thousand. I told you I wouldn't. Make it fi- sixty. No. Fifty-five. No. Fifty-three. No. Fifty-two. No. Fifty-one. No. You're a hard man, Mr. Miller. <laughs> and just for that, we won't sell it to you at all. We'll take our product elsewhere, and you'll regret this to the end of your days. Just remember, whenever you hear the Fisher Piper process, that you could have been in on the ground floor and you missed your chance. Good morning, sir. Oh, this is one of my bad days.
3: Now the curtain rises on the third act of the show off, starring the great Gildersleeve, Yuna Merkel, and Dula Bondi. <laughs> It's the morning of Aubrey's trial. In the corridor just off the courtroom, the luckless show-off stands cracking his knuckles with nervousness. For the first time in his life, Aubrey is scared. With him is his benefactor, the sad-faced, sad-eyed man, his brother-in-law, Frank Hyland.
4: And take it easy, Aubrey. Don't try to tell the judge his business. If he finds you, just keep your mouth shut. I'll take care of whatever it costs.
7: Gee, Frank... Certainly a swell of you to stick by me like this.
4: Oh, it's, it's all right.
7: If I can ever do anything for you, just tip me off.
4: Yeah. Things certainly been going awful lately. Did you, did you hear about Joe?
7: Joe? Uh, no. What's the matter with Joe?
4: He had a deal all set for 50000 for his invention. Went down there yesterday and they wouldn't even see him.
7: Well, what do you know? No uh, explanation or anything. No. Whew. Well, just goes to show you. You can't trust those fellas as far as you can throw them.
4: Yeah. Wish I knew what gummed it up. So do I. Aubrey.
7: Oh, hello, Amy. Uh, Glad you got here, kid. Hello,
4: Frank. Hello. Well, I'll see you later. I gotta get some coffee.
7: Uh, No refills, Frank. (laughs) See you in court. Well, honey.
4: Aubrey, are you nervous?
7: Nervous? Who, me? (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) Oh, Aubrey, don't worry. It'll come out all right.
7: It's not only the trial, Amy. That isn't so much. i got something else on my mind, Amy. I've just discovered I'm a terrible heel. Oh, great. That's right. It's an awful blow to me after all these years.
4: What are you talking about?
7: Amy, listen. Remember remember that deal I was going to swing? That $100,000 thing? Yes. It didn't go through.
4: Oh, that's all right.
7: I hope Joe feels like that. Joe? Yeah. It was his deal. The invention. I crabbed it for him.
4: Oh, Aubrey.
7: All right, go ahead. Give it to me. I deserve anything I can get.
4: But how did it happen? How? It was all settled.
7: Well, yes, but I went there to talk for Joe.
4: Oh. <laughs>
7: I, I thought I could bluff him into it, Amy, and instead of that, they bluffed me out. I was only trying to do a good turn, that's all.
4: I guess you can't help it, Aubrey. I... Guess it's just the way you're built or something.
7: Oh, honey, from now on, it's going to be different. I'm going to be a brand new heel. Uh, Man, you wait and see. (laughs) Well,
4: what are you going to tell Joe? Uh,
7: Joe? Oh, you think I ought to tell him, huh?
4: You've got to tell him. You've got to take your medicine, Aubrey.
7: All right. I'll face him. I'll face him like a man. Joe, I'll say. Joe, my boy. I'd rather face my draft board.
4: When the trial's over, we'll go up to the house, both of us. Yeah,
7: uh, okay, Amy.
4: Of course, that's just assuming that they'll let you out after the trial.
7: Aubrey Piper. Uh, yes, here I am. Who wants me, Mister? The State of Pennsylvania. Get in here. Oh, brother.
4: Here it is. Look, Tara. It's in the papers already. About Aubrey? You'd know it was about Aubrey if they didn't even mention his name. Oh, what's it say? Mad motorist fined $1,000. That's him, all right. I suppose Frank had to pay it, too. Aubrey Piper of 903 Lehigh Avenue was arraigned today before Magistrate Lister to answer to the charges of reckless driving, injuring a traffic officer, and operating an automobile without a license. Magistrate Lister heard a plea of leniency and fined the defendant $1,000. Look. Look there's his picture. Aubrey's picture. Uh, carnation and all. I'd like to get my hands on that fool. I'd tell him a thing or two, disgracing the whole family. Well,
7: here's your chance. Oh hi, Clarabelle. Come
5: on in. Hello, Amy. Hello.
7: Well, it's all over. The said and done. Sign on the dotted line. Greetings, Mother Fisher. You're looking very beautiful this afternoon. Pretty as a gangster's smile. Yes, sir. Shut up. <laughs> Huh? What's the matter, Mother?
4: What'd they do to him, Amy? Oh, nothing much.
7: I'll tell you what they tried to do. You
4: keep quiet. Nobody wants to hear what you've got to say about it at all.
7: Well, I told them down there what I had to say about it, whether they wanted to hear it or not. I told them plenty.
4: And then they fined you, didn't they?
7: Uh, a little.
4: Yes, they fined you $1,000. It's all right here in the paper. Mad motorist fined $1,000.
7: Is that what they called me? Why, I'll sue them. Let me see that. Ooh, not a bad picture, is it?
4: Oh, give me that paper. What do you want to do? Put it in your scrapbook? Oh, Mama, let's not fight about it. We're in trouble enough right now. Let's forget it. Oh, sure, forget it. it. Is Joe here, Mama? No, he ain't. Well, Aubrey wants to see him about something when he comes. Then we're going home. I'll go make a cup of tea.
7: Nothing for me, Amy. I couldn't eat a thing. Who asked you to? All right, Mother, all right. Is
4: that you, Paul? It's me, Mom. Oh... Come in. You've got company. Who is it? Oh,
7: hello, Aubrey. Oh, hi, Joe. How'd you make out today, Aubrey? Well, I'll tell you. They
4: find him. He's lucky he isn't in the Huska right now.
7: Oh, that's too bad. Uh, Joe, listen, i got to speak to you about something. Not now, Aubrey. I'm pretty busy. Yeah, but it's very important, Joe.
4: What could you have to say that's important? You know who he is, don't you, Joe? He's the mad motorist.
7: You've cut it out, Mother. <laughs> what is it, Mum?
4: Right here in the paper, look. Oh, mm. I never thought I'd live to see a thing like this happen.
8: You know, there's something else in tonight's paper, Mum. What? Just cast your eyes on this right here.
4: Well, what is it?
8: Philadelphia youth makes important chemical discoveries. Mr. Joseph Fisher of North Philadelphia perfects rust-preventative solution. How do you like that? Joe,
4: did they buy that thing from you?
8: $100,000, mother. They signed for it this afternoon
7: in the lawyer's office. What? what?
4: Joe. Oh, Joe, that's wonderful. Oh, I'll go tell Amy. Uh,
7: wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, what is all this? Here, read it.
4: Joe, I can't believe
7: it. Let me see that thing. They sent for me to come over there
8: this afternoon about 2 o'clock. And they had their contracts all drawn up and everything.
4: Oh, oh, what did you say about $100,000, Joe? That's
8: what they paid for it this afternoon on account. Then they had to market it for me from their laboratories and give me half the net.
4: Net? What's the net? Whatever's left after all expenses are paid. uh, Did they give you any of the money, Joe? $100,000, sure. Not in money, though?
8: Oh, not in dollar bills, no. They gave me a check for it. Well, Aubrey, what do you say?
7: Not bad, not bad. I guess we put it over, eh, Jose? Oh, uh, what do you mean, we?
4: Yes, what do you mean, we? Who cut you in on this?
7: Uh, now, now, Mother, you never know. Oh, wh- shut up. You know, it was a funny thing, Mom.
8: When I first talked to the Miller Grant people, I was only to get $50,000 advanced. Then they
7: called it all
4: off. But today they
8: sent for me and said, Okay, you win
4: 100000
7: And they're getting away with manslaughter at that.
4: Keep still, you. You don't know anything about this at all.
7: I made them think I knew something about it.
4: You made who
7: think? The Miller-Grant people. What are you talking about, Aubrey? Do you know? Certainly I know what I'm talking about. I went to see those people yesterday. And what did you do up there? Well, I told them they'd have to double the advance if they wanted to do business with us.
4: And what business was it of yours?
7: Well, I'm Joe's relative, ain't I?
4: Who told you you were? <laughs>
7: Well, he's got to have somebody tend to his business, doesn't he, Mother? He's only a lad.
4: He doesn't need you to tend to his business for him. He tended to his business long before he ever saw you.
7: He never landed $100,000, though, Mother, till he saw me, did he? Well, what did you say to them, Aubrey? Well, Joe, I simply told them I was acting in the capacity of business advisor to you. And that if this discovery of yours was as important as you'd led me to believe it was, they were simply taking advantage of your youth by offering you $50,000 for it. And that I refuse to allow you to negotiate further unless they double the advance, sold it at their expense, and gave us one half the net sign on the dotted line.
4: Holy smokes. I don't believe it.
7: Well, I, I certainly have to give you credit, Aubrey. That's
8: the way the contract reads.
7: I told it to him, all right, right from the shoulder. Yes, sir. Well, I'll, I'll have to give you a little present of some kind out of this, Aubrey. You'll not give me any present, Jose. Give it to your family. They'll need it more than I will.
4: Joe! Joe, is it true what Clara said? Sure
7: it
8: is. Here's the paper.
4: Oh, Joe! But
8: Aubrey gets half the credit. He swung the deal for double
7: the money.
4: Aubrey. Oh, Aubrey. It's wonderful, darling. You're wonderful. Everything's wonderful.
7: <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all, Amy. Nothing at all.
4: Uh, do you, uh... Do you want some tea, Aubrey?
7: Tea? Yes, I
8: might, Clara.
4: And a sandwich. I'll fix you something, Aubrey.
8: Sure. Anything he wants. Eh,
7: Aubrey? Well, thanks, folks. Can I help, Amy?
4: No, no. You just sit down there, Aubrey, and rest.
7: Rest. Oh, thank you. Oh, uh, Amy, uh, that newspaper there. Just hand me the financial page, will you?
4: Heaven help me from now on. (laughs)
8: Ladies
3: and gentlemen, next Sunday is the beginning of Boy Scout Week. This year marks the 33rd birthday of scouting in this nation, a third of a century of service. Every Boy Scout is working for his country now, helping to win the war. And tonight we join millions of other Americans in saluting their great work. sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night, when the Lux Radio Theater presents Edward G. Robinson, Gail Patrick, and Laird Krieger in the Maltese Falcon. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. <laughs>
2: The Great Gildersleeve appeared tonight through the courtesy of the Kraft Cheese Company. Beulah Bondi will soon be seen in the Warner Brothers picture, Watch on the Rhine, starring Betty Davis. Heard in tonight's play were Paula Winslow as Clara, Jeff Corey as Joe, and Eddie Marr, Norman Field, Leo Cleary, Charles Kane, Arthur Q. Bryan, Ken Christie, Sharon Douglas, and Fred Mackay. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers, And this is your announcer, John M. Kennedy, reminding you to tune in next Monday night to hear Edward G. Robinson, Gail Patrick, and Laird Kriegar in The
6: Maltese Falcon.
1: Folks, this second one is one that I remember from high school. And I can't remember who the original author of it is, but I know in English it was one of the classic things that we uh were encouraged to read and I used to read all those classics and sometimes now I'm still going back and reading them again um but anyway it's starring um Dick Powell and Myrna Loy and you know Dick Powell uh I think he's the one that plays in uh Richard Diamond or one of those guys like that um But um, anyway, look out for murder and intrigue here. And uh, enjoy it, and we'll see you in a few.
10: Hollywood, California, Monday, June 8th. The Max Radio Theater, presented from its new home on Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood, California. <laughs> Lux presents Hollywood. Such great personalities as William Powell, Myrna Loy, W.S. Van Dyke, Zita Barra, James Seymour, Nina Gamble, Porter Hall, and many others will take part in this presentation sent to you by the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, the beauty soap of the stars. Appearing before a distinguished Hollywood audience, Mr. Powell, Miss Loy, and a cast of 18 great players presents the play that has broken box office records from coast to coast, The Thin Man. And as producer tonight, we present the director who did The Thin Man on the screen, together with such triumphs as Naughty Marietta, Trader Horn, Rose Marie, I Live My Life, and countless other smash hit pictures. Mr. W.S. Van Dyke, Mr. Van Dyke.
11: Hello, everybody. Well, it's a great scene at the Lux Radio Theater tonight. In our audience, we have Betty Davis, Jimmy and Lucille Gleason, Bob Armstrong, Ole Olson, of Olsen and Johnson, Stu Irwin, Jimmy Starr, famous communist, Evelyn Venable, Mr. and Mrs. Leon Schlesinger, Maybe it would interest you a little inside information on the show we are doing tonight, The Thin Man, and about William Powell and Myrna Loy, who are going to do it for you. As you know, The Thin Man was a best-selling novel by Dashiell Hammett. Hunt Stromberg, down at the studio, MGM, got a hold of it and brought it to me. Woody said, if you'll make this picture, I'll buy the story. Well, I read it, and while it was a good enough mystery story, there was something else about the book that struck me. Here was something new and fresh and very charming. A romance between a man and his wife. It's a story of a couple of kids that understood each other and had a blessed confidence in each other. Beneath all the casualness and all the wise cracking there's a lovely, wholesome relationship. Something really deep and sweet and inspiring. Well, we decided to make the picture. Albert Hackett and Francis Goodrich wrote a swell script. William Powell and Myrna Loy played the parts. And how? They played them beautifully. Because Powell was just Powell and Loy was just Loy. Both of them wise, cracking all the time and flowning right through the picture. I suppose you know that plenty of motion pictures take from two months to a year to shoot. We did The Thin Man in 16 days, retakes and all. Of course, it wasn't a pretentious picture. We didn't make it as one. I hate epics. But it is evident that people liked it. It has been very interesting to study out how they could tell this story on the radio. Bill and Myrna have had a lot of fun getting it ready for you, just as they did making the picture. And from the original story, from the original motion picture cast, we have, and are fortunate in having, Minna Gombo, Porter Hall, William Henry, and Thomas Jackson here tonight. So here we go, with William Powell and Nick Charles, and Myrna Loy as Nora in The Thin Man. Here they come, Bill Powell and Myrna Loy. We're in a fashionable cafe, Momart, New York City. It's Christmas Eve, and the well appointed dining room is filling rapidly. From the bar comes a good-looking young fellow about 35, tall, casual, and worldly-wise. He's Nick Charles, the well-known private detective, played by William Powell. And he's waiting for his charming wife, Nora, played by Myrna Lloyd. As he takes his place at the table, a young girl on the other side of the room recognizes him and hurries over. I beg your pardon.
12: Aren't you Mr. Nick Charles, the
10: detective? I am. Yes, I'm Nick Charles.
12: I thought I recognized you. My name is Dorothy
10: Winans. Oh, yes? How do you do? Do
12: you mind if I sit down for a no, moment? No,
10: but uh, I'm expecting my wife a few minutes. You don't mind explaining your presence to her? Oh, of
12: course. That's my fiance over there
10: at the other table. Oh, well, that makes everything all right, doesn't it? Sit down.
12: Thank
10: you. Uh, your name is, uh...
12: Dorothy
10: Winans. I'm Clyde Winans, daughter. Clyde Winans, sir. Uh... Oh, yes, of course. Your father was having some trouble about one of his inventions a few years ago. I handled the case for
12: him. I know. That's why I want to speak to you now.
10: Oh. Well, I'm not practicing any more, Miss Wynett. You see, I've retired. Mr.
12: Charles, I need you.
10: Oh. What seems to be the trouble?
12: It's dead. He went away about three months ago, and I haven't heard from him. Not a word. I'm worried sick.
10: Oh, I wouldn't if I were you. After all, he's an inventor. He gets an idea he wants to work on. It's only natural that he should hide away somewhere. he's done it before.
12: Yes, but never for three months.
10: Did you see him before he left?
12: No. Mr. McCauley was the only one he spoke to. Well, McCauley and Julia Wolfe. she's Dad's secretary.
10: Julia Wolfe. Oh, yes, I believe I met her. And uh, McCauley is your father's lawyer, isn't he?
9: Yes.
10: His lawyer and his secretary both speak to him before he leaves, but no one knows where he went. He wouldn't tell them. What about your mother? He wouldn't tell her either?
12: No. Mother and Dad aren't... They haven't seen each other for some time. Oh, I see
10: well, I don't know just what I can do for you. Why don't you speak to Macaulay? Maybe he's heard from your father and forgotten to let you know. Oh,
12: well, I'll call him now.
10: That's the girl. Let me know how it turns out, will you?
12: Of course. I'll be
2: back in a few minutes.
10: I'll be here.
9: <laughs> madam,
10: you can't bring that dog in here. Dog's aren't allowed. I'm sorry, uh, but I'll, I'll be here like... after. After? Come here, boy. Here. Down, down yes, boy. But, down. Madam, it isn't only your dog. We allowed everyone to be.
0: Oh, here you
10: are. After. Quiet, After. Quiet. <laughs> Slow, Nora. I hear you brought the dog.
0: I didn't bring him. He brought me. I think the doorman's
10: mad. Isn't it? Madam, I'm afraid you have to take the dog outside. It's all right, Joe. It's my dog and uh, my wife. You
0: might have mentioned
10: me first. But, Mr. Charles, are you sure that... This... Of course I'm sure. He's well-trained. He'll behave himself. And nobody might bite someone. No, no. Only me, Joe. He only bites me.
0: Yes, he's talking about what he needs.
10: Go ahead, Joe. I'll be responsible for it. Very well,
0: sir. If you say so.
10: There you are, my dear. See what an influential husband you've got?
0: You do stand in the door, ma'am. Mr.
10: Charles. Oh, uh, yes, Jonathan?
0: May I introduce my fiancé, Andy Reed, Mr. Charles? How do you do? How
10: do you do, sir? Any luck, Jonathan?
12: Yes, he's just around the corner. Your father? No, no, Mr. McCullough. We're
10: going to see him now. Oh, fine, fine.
0: Oh, uh, Miss?
10: Yes, my dear? Oh, I beg your pardon. Uh, Miss... Linus, Mr. Reed, okay. my wife.
12: How do you do? How do you do? I'm sorry we have to write, but you'll excuse us, Mr.
10: Charles. Of course. Uh, we're to Normandy for a couple of weeks. Why don't you drop around?
12: Thanks, we will. Goodbye.
9: Goodbye.
10: Goodbye,
0: sir. Goodbye, Mr. Charles. Goodbye. Pretty
10: girl. You like blonde?
0: You got sight?
10: Only you, darling. Lanky brunettes with wicked jaws. Who is she? Dorothy Wynum, daughter of Clyde Wynum. I worked on a case for her father. Some nut wanted to kill him.
0: Charming. what's the matter now?
10: Wynum disappeared. I am afraid something happened to him.
0: Has anything happened to him?
10: My darling wife, how do I know? Funny, though, that secretary of his ought to know something.
0: Secretaries usually do. Who is she? Julia
10: Wolfe. Smart girl, Julia. I oh, always suspected she had some kind of hold on Wynast. That's why he kept her on.
0: Maybe you ought to give her a ring. Of course. Oh, just to say hello.
10: Mm-hmm. Maybe.
0: What a nickel? Hmm?
10: No, no, no. I've got one. I'll be right there. Hello? I want uh, Skylar, 40962.
9: No,
10: Skylar. Uh, that's right. 4-
0: Hello? Yes, you we were speaking. Who?
5: Oh. Oh, hello, Mr. Charles. Yes? What was it you wanted to... Oh. Oh, no, I don't. He didn't tell me. Not a word. I'm sorry.
0: Well, that's all right. Goodbye. Morelli.
10: Kevin. Well, who was that?
5: Nick Charles. The detective. He wanted to know where Winant was.
10: Oh yeah. Why? He didn't say. Did anyone see Winant come here that night? The night you and him had the scrap. I don't know. Oh no. Well, I guess I'll scram. Wait a
4: minute, Morelli. Where are
10: you going? Oh, we're taking a little stroll. That's all. If Nick Charles is going to pop up around here,
0: I want to be far away when he does.
13: Oh, don't be a fool,
0: Morelli. Oh, huh?
11: Hey, listen, sister. I got a record nine inch and to come face to face with no dick.
0: Sit down, Morelli. You need money, don't you?
11: Yeah. What about it? You got some?
5: Plenty. I'm Winan's secretary.
11: Oh yeah. What do you mean by that?
5: <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Your friends here serves good dinner, is
10: Mm-hmm. All right.
0: You still didn't tell me what Julia
13: Wolfe had to say.
10: Nothing. She didn't know where he was, that's all. Finished?
13: Finished.
10: Let's get out. We'll grab a cab and get back to the hotel.
13: Ready and willing. Where's my first Come on, Esther.
0: Joe?
10: Call me a cab.
0: So be quiet. Stop it. Hello? Yes? Who is it? Miss... Oh, he is. I see. Thank you. Oh, Nick? Yeah? It's Mr. McCauley. He's on his way up.
10: McCauley? what does he want?
0: Isn't he one lawyer?
10: Yeah.
0: Yes. Maybe he's got some news.
10: Well, he ought... Say, you're worrying an awful lot about this business. Forget it. <laughs>
0: I'll open it. I think it's one. I'm Mrs. Tull.
10: Come in, Mr. Hello, Macaulay. Oh, hello, Charles. Well, how are you? Fine. Sit down. Ah, uh, Thanks. Uh, Dorothy told me you were here. I took the liberty of coming to see you. Of oh. course. Uh, Charles, uh, what's Mimi up to? Mimi? Oh, Dorothy's mother. Does she have to be up to something? She usually is, trying one way or another to get money out of wine. I, uh, I wanted to find out if you were, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sleuthing for, her. I have not been a detective. Four years. Oh, don't no say. Oh, my wife's father died and left her lumber mill and the Marigage Railroad and a uh, whole couple of other things. I- I'm looking after them. Oh, see, see. What's all fuss about? Is whining in hiding? Mm, you know as much about it as I do. I haven't seen him in three months. He sends word through Julie Wolf when he wants money. I give it to her and she gives it to him.
0: Mine. Hello. Oh,
10: just a moment, please. It's for you, Mr. McCall. Your office. Oh, thank you. Hello? What? He is? Oh, where is he? Oh, very well. Well, he's back in town.
0: Mr. Wyman? Yes,
10: thank heaven. He's waiting for me now. Well, I've got to rush. I'll tell you, it's no joke working for a man like that. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Charles. Goodbye, Charles. Hello? <clears throat> Merry Christmas. Same to you. Darling? If that's a hint, you can drop it. You get your present at breakfast not a minute before.
0: See? You know, Nick, I've been thinking. It's funny the way Wyant popped up all of a sudden. Yes. Wasn't it? You think there's anything behind it?
10: Why should there be? Well,
0: I don't know. It just strikes me as being funny, that's all. You're nearer than I am, darling.
10: Hello? Speaking. Oh, hello, darling. Bart?
0: To out these what is it, darling? Darling, what is it? Uh,
10: Julia Wolfe has just been murdered.
11: You are listening to William Powell and Myrna Loy in The Story of the Thin Man from the stage of the Lux Radio Theater in Hollywood Boulevard. Before you go on with the story of Nick and Nora, we want to take you on a quick tour of Hollywood.
10: Lobby of the Hotel Roosevelt, where stars and newcomers gather. A young actress just breaking into pictures is telling her friend of her success.
5: Well, there's one thing... I've got one of the best managers in Hollywood, and that means a lot. Oh, but the rules he's laid down for me—jeez, what do you mean rules? Well, you'd think I was going into training for the Olympics. I've got to lose five pounds. I've got to take lessons in singing and diction, and of course my complexion's got to be perfect. I've got to be more careful than ever not to get little blemishes or enlarged pores and, and what they call cosmetic skin. Thank goodness I know enough to use Lux toilet soap regularly, the way everybody around here does.
10: Nine out of ten beautiful Hollywood screen stars use Lux Toilet Soap and have for years. Here's what the famous Claudette Colbert has to say. When I tell people how simple my complexion care is, they always seem surprised. I use cosmetics, of course. But I always use Lux Toilet Soap to guard against cosmetic skin. It's easy to keep skin lovely, my way.
11: And now on with the show of the thin man. An hour has gone by since Nick heard about the murder of Julia Wolf. In the living room of their suite of the hotel, Nick and Nora are listening to the radio. A news reporter is broadcasting the latest developments of the case. And here's the latest news of the Julia Wolf murder. The police have found out that the beautiful blonde secretary was a gangster's girl that's spreading the dragnet
10: for one Joe Morelli, said to be hiding out somewhere in the city. In Paris today, the Chamber of Deputies...
0: Never mind the Chamber of Deputies. Joe Morelli, that's what I wanted to know about. Well, did you get any more information out of headquarters? As much
10: as they had. Julia Wolfe was shot to kill about 9 or 9.30. Body discovered on the floor of a living room a little after 11.
0: Who discovered it?
10: That'll surprise you. Mimi Wynan.
0: Dorothy's mother? Right. What was she doing there? I don't know. Where's Clyde Wynan? Still missing. Missing? But Macaulay was going to see him. They had an appointment.
10: I spoke to Macaulay. Wynan never showed up. Nobody knows who he is. It's
0: going to be pretty tough on Dorothy, isn't it?
10: Meaning what?
0: Meaning that it looks as if Clyde Warnant skipped one appointment in order to keep another with Julia Wolfe.
10: You think he killed her? Oh,
0: it it's just a guess. Sure, the detective around here, darling. Oh, that's
10: Dorothy. Said you wanted
12: to
10: see me. Yeah, come in, Dorothy.
0: Thank you. Is anyone here? But no, Nora. No. Have a seat. Oh. Hello, Dorothy. I'm I'm sorry for breaking in on you like this. Oh, that's all right. We're used to it. Anything wrong? You... Julia Wolfe is dead. Yes, we know
10: that.
12: Here's the gun she was shot with.
10: What are you trying to tell me? That you did it?
12: Yes. I hated her. She, she kept me from seeing my father. I went down there to ask her where he was. She wouldn't tell me. I shot her. Where did you hit her? Why, in the heart.
10: Pretty good shot you are. What did she do?
12: She fell down.
10: Did she make any sound? Didn't scream? I don't know. Which way did she fall?
12: She, she
10: fell over backwards. Oh, Yes. Yeah? People fall toward a shot, you know, not back from it. I knew you were lying. Oh. <laughs> oh, yes, come on. break up. Where did you get this gun?
13: I, I bought it in a pawn shop.
10: Of... I thought so. <laughs> Why did you say you did it? Whom <laughs> are you trying to shield? Oh,
0: please, don't ask You've got to tell me. Nick, let me handle this, will you? Dorothy, look at me. Nick is trying to help you. Why don't you help him? You were trying to shield your mother, weren't you? No. Your father, then? (laughs) Dorothy. Yes. My father. Why do you think he did it? Mother was the first one to
5: find Julia Wolfe. She saw something in Julia's hand and she took it. What was it?
0: A watch chain. It belonged to my father. So you think your father did it? I don't know. I don't know. Did your mother turn the chain over to the police? No. she, She kept it. She didn't tell them anything about it. But she showed it to you.
10: Yes. Why did your mother go to Julia Wolfe's apartment in the first place? She...
12: She went to us for money.
10: Oh, money again,
12: huh?
10: <laughs> yes. Oh, uh... Have him come up, please. Who is it? Uh, Dorothy, uh... I wonder if you'd mind waiting in the bedroom. Of course. it only a minute. Well, Nick? It's Mimi Wyman. Alone? She's never alone. Of his brother is with her. Screwy college kid. And, uh... Some guy by the name of Chris Jorgensen.
0: Jorgensen? Who's he?
10: The callie told me about him. A hanger-on type. I think he's out for Mimi's dough.
0: But she hasn't any.
10: Maybe that's why she wanted to get some from Junior. I'll take it. Hello.
13: Nick, how are you? Fine. Come in, Mimi. Thank you, Nick. This is my son, Gilbert. How are you? Very well, thank you. And Mr. Chris Jorgensen. He's no friend of mine. How do you
10: do? How do you do? Sit down. You know, uh, uh my wife, Mrs. sir uh, Gilbert
13: Winant, and Mr. Jordan. How do you do? Well, Mimi? Nick, I've never been in such a state in my life. You know, of course, that I was the one who found Julia you, Wolf. So we've heard. Oh, my dear, it was terrible. I walked in, and there she was, lying dead on the floor. I meant to ask
0: you, Mother, was there much blood? Gilbert, don't be so morbid.
10: But I'm interested in murders. You know, Mr. Charles... I've formed a theory about this one already. So, in my opinion, the man who did it was... Oh, but be
13: quiet. You don't
10: know anything about it. Oh, but I
13: do. Be quiet. Uh, you were saying, Mrs. Warner, about finding Julia Wolfe. I was simply petrified and such a mystery. Tried Weinan's crazy? Absolutely crazy to stay away at a time like this. No wonder the police think he had something to do with it.
10: What do you think?
13: Oh, I know he didn't, but I wish I could find him. I have something very important to tell him. McCauley won't help at all. He thinks I just want money.
10: Well, don't you?
13: <laughs> oh, Nick, you're always teasing. <laughs> Mrs. Wyland,
0: were you alone when you found Julia Wolfe? Why, of course I was. Wasn't Mr. Jorgensen with you? I?
10: Certainly not. I don't know anything about it.
13: The first word I had that Julia Wolfe was dead was when Mrs. Wyman called me at my club. Oh, she called you? Yes. Why? I beg your pardon. Oh, let's not even talk about it. The thing to do is to find Clyde. And that's what I've come to you for, Nick. You will help me find him, won't you? I'm
10: afraid I can't, Mimi.
13: Oh, Nick, please.
10: Now, Mimi, there are a thousand detectives in New York. Hire one of them.
13: But Clyde knows you. All you have to do is to get in touch with him and tell him that Mimi says everything is all right, but that I've got to see
10: him. i tell you again, I don't want any part of it.
13: Is that Final. Final. Well, if that's
10: the way you feel. You turn up. You just help all you can. Give the police every possible assistance.
13: What do you mean by that?
10: Oh, nothing in particular.
13: Oh. Well, we'll say goodnight. Goodnight. I'm sorry I can't help you, Minnie.
10: at the Normandy Hotel. I want to speak to Mr. Charles. Yeah, Nick Charles. Hello, Mr. Charles. Say, I'm sorry I woke you up. Uh, but, Mr. Charles, I'd like to lay a proposition before you. It's about the murder of Julia Wolfe. Well, what the difference who I am? Oh, wait a minute. All right. Wait a minute. Don't hang up. I'll tell you who I am, but you got to keep it under your hat. I'm Al Nunheim. Yeah, Nunheim. Now, listen, I know who murdered Julie Wolsey. Sure, I do. And I'll spill it to you for five grand. I'll tell you how I know, because I was outside of her apartment when she was shot. And I saw the one who did it. And I'll spill it to you when I get- Hey, wait a minute. Hey, I can't talk now. I'll call you again.
0: Hello?
10: Hello? Hello, are you
0: still
10: there? Hello? What's up? Oh, what's on? I don't know. I'm crank, I guess. you hung up. You better get back to bed and get some sleep. <laughs>
0: To you. That's jolly. Don't you think you'd like to go back to detecting once in a while just for the fun of it?
10: Can't you get to sleep?
0: No. Everybody said you were a grand detective. They were kidding you. I'd like to see you work.
10: Tomorrow I'll buy you a whole lot of detective stories. Oh,
0: well, that poor girl's in an awful spot. There's
10: nothing I can do to help her.
0: She thinks you can. It wouldn't hurt you to find out if you could, would it?
10: Well, oh, darling, my guess is that Wynett killed Julia and Dorothy knows it. And the police will catch him without my help. Now, please put out the light. I'm tired.
0: Oh, all right. But well, I'm mad at you. Mm-hmm.
10: Nick. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you hear a knock? Mm-hmm. Shut up, after. Do you want to answer it, Nick?
10: Oh, good Lord.
0: All right, stay in bed. I'll do it myself. Well?
10: Mr. Charles here. Yes? I gotta talk to him right away. What about? What's going on? What's going on?
0: There's someone to see you me.
10: That's great. I was afraid I'd have to go to sleep. Come in.
11: Yeah.
0: Um, how about a chair, Miss
11: Stay where you are, both here. I got you covered, so don't move. A stick up. No, it ain't a stick up. I gotta talk to you, Mr. Charles. I want you to tell me something, and I want you to give it to me straight. You
10: get me? Do you mind putting that gun down? Uh, my wife doesn't care, but I'm a very nervous person. Thank you. All right, shoot. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, what's on your mind? You don't need to tell me you're tough. I heard about
11: you. I'm Joe Morelli. I've never heard about you. I didn't bump up Julia. All right, you didn't. I haven't seen her in three months. We were all washed up. Why tell me? I wouldn't have any reason to hurt her. She was always on the up and up with me. But that dirty little rat, Nunheim, Well, he got sore because she liked me and hated him. So he put the finger on me. That's all right, swell, brother. Only you're peddling your
10: fish in the wrong market. I've got nothing to do with it. Now, listen. The boys used to
11: say that you were okay. That square guy. Now, that's why I'm here. What's the law doing to me? Do they think I did it? Or is it just something else to pin on me? I'd tell you find you, but I'm, it, I'm not in it, on this. That's the police. Yeah, that'd be very smart. The boys would love to have me come in and ask questions. They'd like it right down to the end of their blackjacks. Now, I came to you on the level. The boys say you're on the
10: level. Be on the level. I'm on the level. If I knew anything, I'd be... Who's that? I don't know. This is your party. Open up. Open up. This is it The police? The police.
4: D- two timers, got Nora! <laughs> give me that
13: gun.
10: You, you run out, I'll show you. Drop that gun. Drop it. Double you double cross me. Come on,
13: you, no, Robert. Give me. The, the gun. Grab
10: it. 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 it, it! Grab it. Let me go. Let me go. I said. I'll take that gun. Thanks, Officer. You almost had me. Get some water, Joe. Nora, are you all right, Nora? I'm Inspector Gilder the homicide. You're in a good place, Inspector. Who's that woman on the floor? My wife. This guy's shooter. No, he tried to shoot me. I stalked her on the jaw to get her out of the line of fire. I guess to hit her too hard, Nora. Oh. Look at me, Nora. Are you all right, darling? Oh.
0: You darn fool. You didn't have to knock me out. I knew you'd take him, but I wanted to see you do it.
10: She's all right. Okay, Slattery. Take Morelli downstairs. Hey, come
9: on, Morelli. Don't come on. I
10: said don't How do you people have to pop in, Inspector? We well, hear yeah, this is getting to be a sort of a meeting place for the Weinan family. So we figured we'd stick around in case the old man himself shows up. Then we seen Morelli sneaking, and we decided to come up. And I was pretty lucky for you, too. Yes. Yeah. Morelli, a friend of yours? I never saw him before. What's he want of you? Wanted to tell me he didn't kill Julia Wolf. What's that to you? Nothing. What did he think it was to you? Ask him, I don't know. I'm asking you. Keep on asking. Oh, so you're going to keep him up, huh? All right, Mr. Charles. I won't bother you tonight, but I'll be in tomorrow morning, and I'll have plenty of things to ask. Good night.
0: Thank you, Inspector Gills. Next time you come, try to stay longer. <laughs> up. It's Christmas. Oh, yeah? Look, here's a telegram for you. It just came. Open it, will you?
10: Probably a touch from somebody. Well?
0: Nick. What is it? It's from Clyde Winant. Listen. Will you take charge of investigation on Julia Wolf's murder? Communicate with Herbert Macaulay. Clyde Wine. Where's it from? Philadelphia. Then he didn't do it, did he, Nick?
10: I don't know communicate with Macaulay, huh? All right. We'll ask him up here this morning. There you are, Macaulay. What do you think? He wants you to handle the case. Well, what are the chances of you doing it? Oh,
0: please, Nick.
10: Quiet, dear. I wish you would, Mr. Charles. Uh, uh, would it help any if I could persuade him to meet you? you might. I had word from Wynat myself last night. He gave me a code message to insert in the newspapers in case I wanted to get in touch with him. It wouldn't do any harm to put it in. I'm sure you could clear this up. Oh, if Wynat will only come back. It doesn't look well. He's staying away at a time like this.
0: Yes? Oh, oh, just a minute. For you, Mr. McCauley, police department. Police
10: department? Hello? Where? In Allentown. Yes. Well, when's the next train? Right. I'll get that. Huh? Well? not tried to commit suicide. They wanted me to go down and identify him. Well, I guess this changes the whole story, doesn't it? That looks like an admission of guilt. <laughs> well, I had such hopes I thought if you got on this case... Ah, uh, well. Well, it's no use thinking about it now. Well, I'm sorry to have wasted so much of your time. You'll excuse me, won't you? Oh. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Well, that's that.
10: What's the matter with you?
0: All the mystery's all gone. And I wanted you to find out who did it. Maybe I will. But why?
10: I don't believe he did it. Why don't you? No reason. That's fine. But I'm going to find out. Come on, Dr. Watson. We're going places. I want to speak to Inspector Gill. Oh. Man-to-man, Mr. Charles. Are you working on this case? Man-to-man. Inspector Guild, I'm not.
0: But he's interested.
10: I don't mind telling you. I'd rather have you in on the right side. You mean not on the Wyman's side? I'd rather have you working with us than against us. would I... It's a bargain, then. Do you know about the case? I read the paper. What about the suicide? Oh, that's a phony. The men didn't even have to go down. I thought it might be. From now on, they're going to think that every thin man over six feet with white hair is Winant.
0: Do you think that Winant did it?
10: Looks like he planned something. He shut up his apartment and his shop. But there's nothing yet to clinch it. Except he'll get you a hundred, that Winant didn't do it. Who's your candidate? I haven't got that far yet. I don't think that everything points to Winant. What about the alibis? Yeah. They're all okay. Mrs. Winant, the boy, Dorothy, Macaulay, even Morelli. Now what about uh, Jorgensen? Hmm? Oh, oh, I'll check on that. <laughs> But well, I'm afraid this is kind of dull for you, Mrs. Charles. Dull?
0: I'm sitting on the
10: edge of my chair. Frankly, I'm stunned. I don't know what to do next. What about you, Charles? Me? No, oh, but, uh, I've got a hunch. What is it? I got a call last night. I thought it was from a crank, but I changed my mind. Whoever it was knew something. And I've got a feeling I'll hear from him again. What time is it?
0: Almost ten. Still waiting to hear from the crank?
10: And how? Here, give me that quick. Hello? Yes? Yeah? Ed, this is Nick Charles? Who? Can't hear you. I said I can't hear you. Got to speak louder. I-, I can't speak any louder. Hey, this is Al Nunheim again. You know, I called you last night. Hey, listen. Are you still interested in that proposition? Yeah, huh? All right then. Now here's the dope. And get this straight: the
0: man who killed Julia. Move it <laughs>
10: Gil, you think Weiner killed Julia Wolf and Nunheim? Right. Why? Two reasons. First off, Mimi Weiner came across with a watch chain. She plucked off Julia's body. Oh, she did, huh? It belonged to Clyde Weiner. Yes. Yeah. What's the second reason? A pit. The bullet that killed Nunheim came from the same gun. That's all right, Inspector. All right. It's perfect. Clyde Weiner is guilty of both of this murders. Maybe. What? 50 you'll still get your hundreds. I say Weiner's innocent. You can say what you want but I'm spreading a dragnet for that guy over every town in these United States. And I'll get him, too.
2: Calling all cars, calling all cars, over all roads, leaving city, pick up lad, wine and in man, landing, wearing shortness, just and sweet
0: Do you think they'll find him, Nick? He must be in New York. That
10: probably is.
0: Oh, it's getting me down. I saw Dorothy today.
10: Yeah? What?
0: She's broken off her engagement.
10: What
0: for? Oh, don't ask me. She was a little hysterical. Something about not wanting to ruin her fiancé's life. Daughter of a murderer and all that. Mm, poor kid. Well, see you later, darling. Where do you think you're going? I'm going to take our walk. <laughs> He's just for a walk.
10: We're going sightseeing. Why not we at <laughs>
0: that? Nick, what are you up
10: to? I've got a hunch. I'm going down to look at wine and shop. I want to find out why it's closed.
0: Why shouldn't he close it? He went away.
10: He went away lots of times when I knew him, but he never closed his shop. i have got to hunt something up.
0: You mean he might be hiding there?
10: I don't know. But this thing's got my goat. I've got to find out.
0: Nick, Nick, I won't have you going down there at this hour of the night. He's a crazy man. He might kill you. he will be all right.
10: I've got asked to protect me.
0: All right. Go on. Go on. See if I care. But it's a dirty trick bringing me all the way to New York just to make me a widow.
10: You wouldn't be a widow long.
0: You bet I wouldn't.
10: Not with all your money.
0: You dogs. Goodbye, darling. Mickey, take care of yourself, won't you? Sure I will. Don't say it that way. Say it as if you meant it.
10: Why, I believe that if a little woman cares.
0: I don't care. I'm just used to you, that's all. Sure. Come so on, darling. Come on, Esther. <laughs> come on, go <come> on. Goodbye. <laughs> Call me, darling, please. I'll be waiting to hear from you. Asta. Esther, if you let anything happen to him, you'll never wag that tail again. <laughs>
11: you listening to the Lux Radio Theater's production of The Sin Man, starring William Powell and Myrna Loy, with the music under the direction of Louis Silver. This is W.S. Van Dyke speaking. We have here tonight the man who wrote the great picture, Lawyer Man, for Bill Powell here. He's a producer, too, but just on the writing end. He's done many great pictures, 42nd Street, The Gold Diggers, King of Burlesque, and lots of others, including an original musical, Ladies in London, which you'll be seeing soon. And here he is, the man whose name you'll see on the screen before the picture starts. One of Hollywood's greatest picture writers, James Seymour. Thank Jim.
10: Thanks, Woody. I've been a movie writer for ten years. That's the
11: first kind word anybody has said to me. (laughs) Listen, Jim, the average person thinks a movie writer is a fellow that sits by himself at a typewriter, hammers out a lot of dialogue, and hands it in. Would you like to correct that impression? I certainly would. Nobody works alone and by
10: himself to make a picture. It's a matter of constant cooperation between producer, director, technician, actors, and the writers. Some of the best story ideas come out of the conferences.
11: Jim, how many writers would you say there are on an
10: average picture? Plenty. Believe it or not, I've seen pictures where there were more writers than actors. If all the people who contributed to the story got screen credit, it would look like a page from the telephone directory. Mm
11: -hmm. You've written
10: on both the stage and screen, Jim. Tell the folks how they're different. Well, pictures have less talk, but they tell more in less time. Like concentrated foods, all the good and none of the waste. In the theater, everything must be brought to the audience. On the screen, you take your audience wherever the camera can go. And here's another important point that comes right back to your Lux radio theater. On the stage, the star just enters. But on the screen, she's introduced with a big close-up. A picture of the star's face many times larger than life-size. Every time a movie star's complexion is mentioned in this Lux radio theater, I think of those close-ups. Those stars just have to be beautiful, and they found that Lux toilet soap helps them look their best. Producers know it too, and that's why it's the official soap in all the great studios in Hollywood. Right, Woody? Right on the nose, Jim. Says is coming over. Thanks for asking me. Good night. Good night. Jim. We pause for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The Thin Man. <laughs>
11: Nick is on his way to Clyde Wine's deserted laboratory, in a dark and desolate section of the city. His cab veers sharply around the corner and pulls up in front of a gloomy, old, rickety building.
10: Hey, Mister, are you sure this is the place you wanted? Looks like it. Come on up, that jump. How much are you? A dollar twenty. Oh, do you want me to wait? No, never mind. Oh, that's good. This ain't no neighborhood to be in at two o'clock in the morning. I want to get out of here. There you are. Thanks.
0: Hello, Come
10: on, Arthur. Come on. What's up, with you? Hello. Nora. What are you doing
0: here? I beat you down. I want to go with you, Nick. Now, listen. No. You're not going in that place alone, and that settles it. Now get out that skeleton key of yours and open that door. I'm here to stay. All
10: right. Come on. Ted.
0: Nice neighborhood, Winans picked out his laboratory. I can almost hear the chains rattling. Do you believe in ghost, Minky? Shh.
11: There we are. Come in. Be quiet. Hey, it's, it's dark. In here. Yeah, I got a flashlight
0: when I close the door. Shh. At the shop. What's going on? Laura. Which way?
10: Straight ahead. Can you get the layout, please? It looks all that
0: deep in here. You can't even stay into the corner. Don't you know, let the shadows frighten you. Who's the it? it. What's the matter? This looks like Wyman's work table. I'm more like a slab in the moors. Look, There's a cement floor all around.
11: Yeah, there probably a lot of weight goes on that table. Come on. Where to
0: you
11: now? There's an old desk over there on the wall. I'm to take a look at it.
0: What do you expect to find? Darling, if I knew what I'd find, I'd not be... Hey, Like, like somebody was walking over that way. Oh, just your imagination. There's no one in here but us. No? What about Wyatt? This workshop, I couldn't
9: hide it out, What's that? Asta. Asta, come here.
0: He's scratching on
10: the cement around the work table. Asta. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> you hear what I said? Asta.
0: Take a look at him. He's after something. I've seen him scratch the ground like that when, when the was looking for... on the table.
13: I just saw it. Ah, good.
10: Now, I just not a hole in that cement. We'll find out what's
0: under there. I think I'm scared. Ah, it's quiet. You have keep away, Norris. As comes here. Uh, once more. Look, there she goes. Ah, uh, I'm through the cement. <laughs> I have to get away from there.
10: We must get Inspector Gill here. What's under there? A body. Must have been there for weeks. Oh, oh yes. Wait a, a a
13: wait a oh, minute. You're wait to
10: wait to now, you reporters. You'll get the story as soon as I can okay. give it to you. Until then, you got to leave it alone. Come on now, get out. Oh, those reporters are enough to drive a guy nuts. Well, you were right, Nick. It was a body, a skeleton rather, buried in lime. I wonder what Winant had against this one. Did you find any clothes? Yeah, but no identification on them. Just a silver belt buckle with the initial D.W.R. D.W.R. Who is that? I got a good idea. That case you worked on, the guy who threatened to kill Winant, what was his name? Oh, uh water. Yeah, rose water. He said Wynant tried to steal an invention, didn't he? Yes, but we figured it was just blackmail. Just the same, Wynant wouldn't mind having him out of the way, would he? And according to the doc, the body's been there at least a couple of months. Hmm. That's just about the time Wynant closed the shop. Right. Did you put the skeleton under the fluoroscope yet? Half an hour ago, we found the bullet he was killed with and something in the leg bone. An old piece of shrapnel. Shrapnel? Yeah. Trap mole in the leg bone. He probably limped. What do you mean? Oh, nothing. Well, so long, Inspector. I'm going to pick up my wife, take her home. It's been a long night. So long. Give her my best, will you? right. Where are we going, Miss? Back to the hotel, my sweet. Pack our bags and take a night trip somewhere. A
0: trip? Oh, no.
10: My soul, woman. I gave you three murders and you aren't satisfied.
0: I want you to stand by one. I did find it. What do you mean?
10: He was down in the shop. Yes. It a his body that was buried there.
0: Wyman's body? Yeah. But they all said it was rosewater.
10: Oh, that's the amazing.
0: What makes you so sure it's Wyman's body?
10: Several things. Clothes, for instance. They were carefully preserved. They were carefully preserved. And the body was just carefully destroyed. First to kill him, counted for one thing that all skeletons look alike. Well, don't they? Sure. But I remember that Wynette had some shrapnel in his shin. They found it under the floor. soap. How long has
0: he been dead?
10: A couple of months, anyway.
0: Then he couldn't have committed those other murders.
10: Smart girl. not.
0: did. Does Dorothy know?
10: No, nobody but you. I didn't even tell Gil. Why not? I want to lie low till I get the whole dope. I don't want to go off our cops. What are you going to do? I'm going to get the real murderer. I've got an idea. Want to see me take him? Yes. Yeah. You got a nice evening dress?
0: Oh, I've got a lose. What?
10: Huh. I'm going to have a party, a dinner party. Everything from Russian caviar to tamar cheese, an orchestra behind the palms, the viewed lighting. What is this? And I'm going to invite all of the suspects. The suspects?
0: They won't come. Oh,
10: no, they'll come. I'll have Gil issue the invitation.
0: Nick, who's going to be here? Everybody. You, me,
10: Dorothy, Eric's fiancé, uh... Hey, his
0: name's Andy.
10: they uh, right. McCauley, Mimi, Gilbert, Jorgensen, and Morelli.
0: Oh, darling, what a lovely party. All right, Weston, and now.
13: Good
10: evening, everybody. Mr.
13: Charles, what is the meaning of this?
10: The meaning of what, Mimi?
13: Why, will we all rounded up like common criminals and brought
10: to the city? Yes, Charles. eat, Mimi, and talk. Will everyone please be seated? Dorothy, here. Oh, thank you. Andy, next to her, please. Oh, but Mister Charles, please. Really, please. Very well. Mimi, on the other side of Andy. And <laughs> uh, Mr. Jorgson, over there, please. Very, very kind, Mr. Charles. Not at all. Mr. McCauley next. Of course. Morelli. What? Right where you are. Now, say, listen. Sit down. Uh, and uh, Gilbert, uh, you can sit just opposite mama. Mr. Charles, I have a theory. Uh, we'll listen to it later. Uh, Inspector Guild, you and your men will stand by, uh, by the door, please. Sure, fine. Now, Nora, if you'll sit here by me.
0: Delighted, Mr. Charles.
10: A pleasure, Mrs. Charles. Now, we're all ready to begin.
13: Uh, will you please pass the celery, Mrs. Ryan? No, I will not. I demand to you know why we are here.
10: Before dinner? All right. I've got some important news. I've seen one Oh, you, you on mean it? Certainly, I mean it.
13: That's nothing. I saw him myself.
10: Yes, Mimi? When?
13: Last night. He came to see me in my apartment.
10: Oh, did he? What did he say? He
13: didn't say very much. He want to know how I was and how the children were.
10: I'm afraid you're lying, Mimi.
13: Yes.
10: <laughs> you see, I really did see Wyman last night. Are you kidding? No. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you hold him? Because I found out for certain that he didn't commit the murders. Well, you know, you
11: know, know. That, what did you that, that's... Now, wait a minute. Let, a minute. minute. Let, Let him have his day.
10: Thank you. Morelli, you knew Julia. Was she jipping Wyman? Taking dough on the fly? Well... She don't say she is, but I figure she is, Yeah. Thank you. Now I'll tell you why I know Winant didn't commit those murders. Three months ago, Winant found out that Julia was cheating him and was splitting with some man. He went to find the man, and he did. That man was desperate. He knew that he was caught dead to rights, And a prison staring him in the face, he took the only way out. He killed Winant. Oh. Terrible to tell you this way, Dorothy, that your father's dead. Dead? He's been dead for three months. Oh. oh. darling, don't cry, Oh, I oh, know it's terrible, but isn't, it? isn't it really better to cry?
0: Oh, Andy, Andy. You'd better take her home, Andy. Yes. Come, on. Yes. Come on, darling. Let them out, second. Oh, open up. Yeah. Oh, don't cry,
10: darling, please. <laughs> It'll be all right, no? oh, oh, now.
9: Oh,
13: this is absurd. Out. How can you cry be dead? You said yourself you saw him last night. So I did.
10: I saw him lying buried in his shop. You mean that body? It was Wyman. Perfectly
13: absurd.
10: And the murderer is right here in this room tonight. He's sitting at the table. Huh? Who is it? I don't know. But I thought if we all had a little get-together, we might be able to find out. I'll tell you as much as I know. This murderer is a very clever man. He planned the whole thing beautifully. After he killed Wyman, he wired McCauley, using Wyman's name, and told him to shut up the shop. Then he took Winant's body and buried it in the shop with another man's clothes to throw off the facts. He even put a belt buckle with an R on it, hoping that we'd think it was Rosewater, an old enemy of Winant's who dropped out of sight years ago. I'm ready. Yes? Yeah? Would you mind holding your knife the other way you're worrying and guilty? Sure. if that knife
0: is missing, I'll look for it you're back. I'll help you look.
10: Uh, well, after our hero had killed Winant, he got a brilliant idea. He realized that he and Julia could still collect money. Winant was supposed to be on a trip. No one knew where. So our dinner guests wrote letters to McCauley signing Winant's name so that McCauley would continue to send the money to Julia. He even telephoned McCauley. Uh, Do you remember, McCauley, the first day that you came to see me? He telephoned that he was in town. Oh, it must have been Winant. I should have known if it weren't his voice. Oh, he was clever about that. He called when you were out. That same afternoon, Julia telephoned him. She said that you were coming, Mimi, to ask about Winette. He got terrified. He was afraid that Julia would break down and tell. So he went to Julia and killed her and left Winette's watch chain in her hand.
0: Mimi, about that? If I ever did. I don't know. I
10: hope uh, you're
0: aware. Quiet,
10: please. <laughs> His plan was still working beautifully. The only hitch was a man named Nunnheim who had found out something. So our hero bumped him off too, but our hero overlooked just one item. The telegrams, wires, and telephones were all very well, but no one had seen Weiner. So the murderer picked on poor Mimi here to strengthen his case. Mimi is the only one at this table who can tell us who the real murderer is. Mimi, who was it told you to say you'd seen Weiner?
13: Nobody told me. I did see him. What did he
10: pay you, Mimi, to stick to that story? It
13: isn't a story. It's true. I did see Wyman. He's not dead. You're lying, Mimi.
10: But then you do anything for money. You are getting a good price for saying you saw Wyman.
13: I'm not going to stay here and be insulted. Sit down.
10: You're getting a good price, Mimi. But don't forget this. Two other people were in with him on this deal. Julia and Nunnheim. When he thought they might spill something, he bumped them off. You ought to know darn well that he's not going to take any chances on you. What do you want to do? Be next on his list? No, no! And who is he? Who paid you that money? McCauley! McCauley, oh, oh, you dirty little. Macaulay. I think that will hold him. Oh, boy, oh, boy, what a wallet. Hey, nice work, Mr. Charles. There's your man, Inspector. Mr. McCauley. I can't believe it. What do you want me to do? Wrap him up in cellophane? Pick him up and get him out of here.
13: Come on, boys. Grand, Let me get a of him. If you him. took him. I knew
0: you would. Yeah,
10: another case like this, and I'll been into a prize, prize, prize
0: Oh, Nicky, you're grand. You're glorious.
10: I'll bet you say that to all the boys.
11: of the Thin Men, with William Powell and Myrtle Loy. I'm going to get them back out here in a minute to talk to you. As you know, these broadcasts from the Lux Radio Theater are quite an event in Hollywood, and among our many friends here tonight is one of the greatest stars of the silent pictures. I admired her from afar when she was doing such magnificent spectacles as Cleopatra, and I was just next to her. Today, she is the wife of one of our leading film directors. I've known her for many years as the most charming and gracious lady, and I want you to meet her now, Miss Theda
5: Thank you, Woody. Our Hollywood entertainment has certainly developed amazingly since I was making pictures.
11: Yes, everything's different now.
5: As you and I uh-huh. know, before pictures grew up and started to talk, we had to translate all emotion into pantomime. Oh, you may think you have trouble today, but do you ever remember the difficulties we had working with a split screen? We had to express jealousy, hate, love, or devotion, or in pantomime. And at the same time, keep Pace, as the director, guided us with a one, two, three, four. Just as a metronome guides a pianist.
11: The kind of mine has always been one of the greatest of art. And may I say, Miss Barra, I have always thought that you were one of the greatest masters of that art.
5: Oh, you're very kind, Woody. We worked awfully hard making those pictures. For instance, in making Cleopatra, we had no research department at the studio. I worked myself for months with the curator of Egyptology at the Metropolitan Museum in New York. It's great fun, though.
11: I understand, Miss Barry, you're going to make some radio appearances.
5: Yes, I am. And I'm also going to do some motion picture work.
11: Oh, that's good news.
5: I'm considering an offer now, running through scripts and ideas. Oh, I just hope everyone will be as happy about another field barrel picture as I am. The public has been very good to me in the past.
11: And I know they'll be awfully glad to see you again. I'm sure it'll be a great thrill not only seeing you, but hearing your voice. Thanks, Miss Barry, for joining us
5: tonight. I'm glad I could. Good night.
11: Hearing Thea Barrett talk of her plans brings to my mind some other plans <clears throat> I've heard discussed in Hollywood this week. Picture people are talking about Charlie Chaplin's recent statement that he will start work on a new picture very shortly. Miss Paulette Goddard will be starred. Chaplin will write and direct, but will not act in it. A disappointment to many of us. Barbara Sandwick and Robert Taylor are starting a new picture today. And I'm tickled to death that I got the job directing. <clears throat> it's called His Brother's Wife. Speaking of Bob Taylor, there's a lad who's going places. He's got a great future. And sometime in that future, he's going to do Armand to Greta Garbo's Camille. Bill Powell and Myrna Loy here are interested in the making of MGM's Picture of the good earth. Louise Rayner, who is with them in the great Ziegfeld, and Paul Muni are the stars. And now Bill Powell and Myrna Loy are coming out on the stage. Arise, Bill. Myrna. <laughs> you did a great show. You're really marvelous. What?
0: No retakes? No, and no property man.
11: Yeah, Bill. I'll bet you're glad my property man isn't here. Remember how I used to swatch you with a broomstick when you weren't running on the set fast enough? Yes, that Harry out. is a great fellow. He's the most independent customer of the whole picture business. Listen, Bill. That fellow was with me in the Arctic when we made Eskimo. He was with me in African jungle when we made Trader Horn. And after a man has handled crocodiles, sharks, pythons, and polar bears, you've got expect him to be afraid of a mere actor. Uh, there's,
10: there's only one thing I can ever understand about that picture, uh, Eskimo, Woody. How did they tell you from the polar bears?
11: He wore rubber. I wore a hat.
0: Must <laughs> <laughs> be pretty tough, Woody, when you have to prowl through swamps, jungles, <clears throat> tropics, and the Arctic. I suppose when you call up and say you're going on location, your wife says, uh, oh, yes, location. Do you want the snowshoes or the snake bite medicine? Yeah.
11: Unfortunately, she doesn't say that. When I say I'm going on location, she just says, uh, you are not. <laughs> Incidentally, I thought all about that traveling. Uh, I thought all about it when the Lux soap people asked me to do this broadcast. Isn't it funny? In the Arctic, soap is something they like to eat. In the topics, they use soap for money. And here in Hollywood, soap is something that keeps the stars beautiful. Now, I can see that it keeps Myrna beautiful, Woody, but uh, when are you going to start using that? Nice
10: talk. nice soap.
11: What <laughs> I do use is that. And that's no kidding. Anyway, thanks for coming up, kid. Goodbye, Woody. Goodbye. bye Before I tell you about next week's show, I'm going to ask our announcer, Mr. Roy, to tell you about more about the cast and about Hollywood Studios who are cooperating with us.
10: Our cast of characters tonight, Nick... William Powell, Nora, Myrna Loy, Mimi, Minagondo, Macaulay, Porter Hall, Dorothy, Barbara Luddy, Gilbert, William Henry, Chris Jorgensen, Brett Morrison, Julia Wolfe, Margaret Brayton, Inspector Gild, Thomas Jackson, Morelli, Wally Mayer, Nunheim Ernie Adams. Our director, W.S. Van Dyke, and our stars, William Powell and Myrna Loy, appeared through courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer, as did Mr. William Henry, and Porter Hall through the courtesy of Paramount. The musical director of this program, Mr. Lewis Silbers, appears through the kindness of 20th Century Fox. And now, here is your producer, Mr. W.S. Van Dyke. Thanks
11: to all of you in the cast. You did a swell job. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, the Lux Radio Theater is going to have a great show for you. And believe me, Al Joseph and Ruby Keeler are going to be here to appear in Burlesque. It was a smash hit on Broadway and then a great moving picture. And now it's going to make a marvelous radio vehicle for Al Joseph and Ruby Keeler. I think you'll like it. Will return to the Lux Radio Theater in time to 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 produce burlesque, and you know he'll give you a great show. I've enjoyed being with you all, and good night.
1: Broadcasting System. Um, this last one, folks, is uh, it's called Dark Angel, and it's a World War II romance. I enjoyed it, and I think you will too.
3: Hollywood, California, Monday, June twenty second. Theater presents Merle Oberon and Herbert Marshall in The Dark Angel. <laughs> Lux presents Hollywood. Tonight, you will meet Merle Oberon, Herbert Marshall, Rod LaRock, Cecil B. DeMille, Leroy Prince, James Montgomery Flagg, and many others. And gathered here to witness this event is a tremendous audience of Hollywood notables. Seated across the footlights, I see Lois Wilson, Brian Ahern, Mae McAvoy, Matt Moore, Alan Baxter, Leo Carrillo. Welcome, all of you, to the Lux Radio Theater. This entertainment is brought to you by the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, the beauty care used by nine out of ten Hollywood stars, the pure white soap. That can mean a lovelier complexion for you. As producer of the Lux Radio Theatre, we present one of the world's foremost motion picture producers, a man so closely identified with Hollywood that the history of the motion picture industry might well be the story of his own life. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. The lights of a thousand cities are the footlights of our stage tonight. The play of the evening will be heard from Beverly Hills to Boston, from Miami to Montreal. By shortwave, we are even linked with Tasmania, that island in the South Pacific that gave us the lovely star of tonight's production. Her name is Estelle Merle O'Brien Thompson. But she is known to us all as Merle Oberon, we have listeners also in Hawaii, where once before I directed the man who stars in tonight's production, Herbert Marshall. We were making a picture on the slopes of Moanakea in the Koa Forest. I had to stage a fight between Mr. Marshall, Bart, as we call him, and William Gargan. Bart was supposed to win, and Gargan was prepared to take a blow and be knocked down. We filmed the scene several times. Each time, Bart played the scene magnificently, up to the final blow. Then something went wrong. I finally asked him why he wasn't giving me what I wanted. And that delightful gentleman, who served with the London Scottish Regiment during the war, who saw action on many fronts and figured gallantly in the Battle of Arras, said very simply, Mr. DeMille, I just can't bring myself to hit a man full in the face. And now it is cut in time. Deluxe Radio Theater brings you The Dark Angel with Merle Oberon and Herbert Marshall. The Dark Angel is the story of Kitty Vane, played by Merle Oberon and Alan Trent, a young English officer with whom she is in love, played by Herbert Marshall. August 1915, the first year of the World War, and all Europe is trembling under the impact of the loud guns. Excitement is the keynote of the day, and in a little cottage in the country, Kitty Vane, a charming young English girl, is hurrying off to meet. Two old friends who are coming home on leave. We hear her running down the stairs.
14: Good morning, Granny. Good morning, darling. You're early. A little. Going to have breakfast? I don't think so, Granny. I'll have something at the Shannons with Alan and Gerald. Very well, dear. You're excited, aren't you? Terribly. It's a big day. The biggest ever, Granny. Alan Trent and Gerald Shannon. It seems like yesterday they were just babies. And here they are, coming back to us after a whole year of war. Yes. You know, Granny, at first seeing them as soldiers was fun. And I suppose I never really thought they'd be going away. But when they did... Oh, Granny, I'm so glad they're coming home again. I'm afraid it won't be for very long. No. I... I suppose not. But even a few days are better than nothing. And Alan promised me they'd stay just as long as they possibly could. In these days, we have to make the best of everything... It's been a long year for you, hasn't it, darling? It wouldn't have been so bad if... Oh, Granny. If only I knew. If I were only sure. Of Alan? Yes. Aren't you sure? How can I be? When one loves so hard and for so long, one can never really be sure. And it used to be so easy, Granny. When we were children, I'd just ask him to marry me. But now, it's growing up, Granny. That's what it is. Things aren't so simple anymore. I can't just say... Alan, please marry me, quick. (laughs) Why not? That's the best way to do it. Saves a lot of time. I bet that's just what you do. (laughs) Of course. Kitty, come here. I want to talk to you. Yes, Granny. Kitty, you may not be sure of Alan. I don't know how he feels about you. But I do know how Gerald feels about you. Gerald? He's in love with you, Kitty. Granny. Yes, my dear? I've seen it, and I know it. But it's silly. You shouldn't say things like that, Granny. (laughs) I'm an old woman, my dear. I can say what I please. But, Gerald. I've, I've never thought about Gerald except as Alan's cousin. Why, I've known Gerald ever since we were babies. And Alan, too, my dear. Yes, but, well, that's different. Somehow. I can't explain it, but it is different. Is it? Of course it is. Heavens, look at the time. I must fly I've got to meet Mrs. Shannon at the station. Goodbye, granny dear. Goodbye, child. Uh, don't drive too fast. I will. And give my love to Alan and Gerald. I will, granny.
1: Goodbye. Bye. Okay.
14: Coming in on platform number three, 20 minutes
15: late. Troop train, 20 minutes late. Coming in on They'll be here soon. Tommy will be
14: here soon. We can't leave it here. Come in, come. I hope he's
15: well.
14: I hope he's well. Well, Kitty, I just got to the station, Martin. Their train's 20 minutes late. 20 entire minutes. After 11 months of waiting, that really isn't so long. And just think they'll be home with us for 10 whole days. Oh, I'm almost afraid to meet them. Do you think they'll be the same, look the same? Oh, I think we'll recognize them. Oh, look. Look, the plane is oh.
4: coming.
14: Oh, why doesn't he stop? Oh, Sheila, what have you done? stop oh, silly child, it's stopping now. Where are they? Jimmy, Sally, how do you think? Oh, they'll, they'll find, find us. Kitty, be patient, darling. Oh, oh, look. Look, where they are. Ellen. Gerald. Alan, Ellen. Kitty. Oh. Kitty, darling.
1: Oh,
3: Alan. Gerald. How are you? Here's Aunt Sheila. Oh, Mother Barbilla. So good to see you, Hello. You're really, really back.
16: Yes, really back. Oh, look at Kitty Jettle. She's getting prettier every day. Yes, our Kitty. Standing right before us. I think Aunt Sheila's getting prettier, oh, stop, too. stop,
14: <laughs> Alan. Come along. We've got the car. It's this way.
16: Hope you've got something to eat, Aunt Sheila. I'm as hungry as a bear. The
14: dungeon's waiting for you.
16: Good. For dessert, we can have dinner and top that off with a bit of supper. Wonderful idea, Alan. Are
14: you two going to spend the whole ten days eating? You,
16: we decided that months ago. Eating, sleeping, bathing, eating, sleeping, bathing. I said, Gerald, maybe we can think of some way to eat while we're sleeping. You know, we haven't given this thing enough thought. Oh, very, darling.
14: Oh, <laughs> very.
3: Kitty! Where are you going?
14: Ellen, don't you know it's very bad manners to shout out of second story windows?
16: Well, it's just as bad to shout back. Want a piece of cake?
14: No. I'm tired of seeing you eat. I'm going home. Now, wait
16: a minute. I'll come with you. Maybe there's something new to eat at your house. <laughs>
14: there isn't. Goodbye. No,
16: no, wait. Look, Kitty. If you don't wait, I'll jump down.
14: Get back in that window, idiot.
16: Will you wait? No. All right, here I come.
14: Ellen, don't! Alan! <clears throat> Alan, why did you do that? Alan, darling, darling, get up. You're not hurt, are you? Alan, Alan, why don't you speak?
16: Aunt Sheila always talking me to speak with my mouth full. You like some cake? Here.
14: Stupid clown. Now I will go.
16: No, don't. Don't go, Kitty. See, I did scratch my hand. No, no, slow up there. Scratches like this cause lockjaw or something.
14: Serves you right.
16: Kitty, you're changed. You're positively bloodthirsty. And you,
14: you haven't changed. You're still a child. You don't feel...
16: Huh? What don't I feel?
14: You, you don't feel anything.
16: Don't I? How do you know what I feel? Do you know about the months I've been away, the agony I've been in because of you? Do you know how frightened I was of coming home, of finding that you changed, that you didn't feel the, the things I wanted you to feel? Oh, look here. I, I can't see it all. Maybe I can't see any part of it. I'm scared. Kitty, Kitty. I have so much love for you. I. It's like something you saved up for a lifetime and didn't know about. And, and then it all comes at once. I love you so, Kitty.
14: Oh, Alan. Alan. I wanted to hear you say that so much.
16: Darling, sure you knew.
14: I wasn't sure. You see, I've always been around. I know.
16: When I first looked through the bars of my crib, there you were. Telling me what to do.
14: I was not.
16: When I I saw my first tree, you were in it, peering down. My first bird. My first squirrel. My first... Well, my first bath. You were always there.
14: That's what makes me afraid. You you may be just used to me. You may meet some other girl. Oh, no,
16: sh- sh- you sweet idiot. Don't ever say that. There'll be no one else ever. If you ever weren't there, I'd stop living. I'd stop breathing. I'd stop wanting to breathe. Alan. Don't ever go away, Kitty.
14: Never, Alan. Oh, my darling.
16: <laughs> come on. We'll tell Aunt Sheila.
14: And Gerald, too.
16: Now wait. What are we going to tell them? But we're going to be married. But when? Day after tomorrow? No, tomorrow. What? Why, oh, you shamelessly. <laughs> come on. We'll run.
14: Wait, Alan. Now come on. Come
16: on. You're
14: going too far. Up the steps, quick. Who's going to tell them?
16: Both of us. Aunt Sheila. Aunt Sheila, where are you? Hello. Hello. What's all the excitement? Oh, Gerald. Big news. Big news,
14: Can you Can you guess, Gerald?
16: I think I can. So it's fully happened after all these years. Congratulations. Oh,
14: oh, thank you, Gerald.
16: All my love, Kitty, for you both. This is the way it should be. I'm happy about it.
14: Did you call me, Alan?
16: Come here, Mother.
14: Is anything
16: wrong? Oh, no, it's right. These two have got themselves engaged getting married tomorrow.
14: Married? Oh, that's splendid, Kitty dear. I'm very happy. I know you'll be happy. Both of you. We'll all of us be together. Always now. Do you mind if I run? I can't wait to tell Granny. I think you should come with me, Alan.
16: I fully intend to. We'll be back. Come on, Kitty. Mm.
14: You love her, too, don't
16: you? Yes, Mother.
14: Oh, darling.
16: It's all right, Mother. This is the way it should be.
14: Gerald, I almost forgot. This message came for you a while ago from the war office. Why well, do you hope...
16: War office? oh uh, let me see it, dear.
14: What is it, Gerald? Gerald!
16: Hmm. We've got to go back. We're leaving England tomorrow morning.
14: Oh, Gerald, no.
16: Must be a big drive on. All leaves are canceled.
14: Oh, those poor children. They were to be married tomorrow.
16: Yes.
17: I'll have to tell them.
16: You mean you... You can't marry us, Father Charles? I'm afraid I can't, Alan.
14: But you've known us ever since we were children. There must be some way.
16: The notices for all weddings must be posted first, Kitty. Oh, you know that, my dear. Two hours ago, it might have been possible. It's too late now.
14: Oh, Father.
16: Oh, I'm sorry, Kitty. I know how you feel. But try to see that Alan will be back soon, and we'll be you'll we'll be married here. We'll arrange it all beforehand. It won't be long. Who knows how long it'll be. Oh, my boy. I'm sorry, Father. Father. Thank you, anyhow. You've been very patient with us. God bless you. And bring you back to this church for the marriage you want. Goodbye, my children. Well, Kitty, nobody will marry us. after all these years, we're two hours too late. Two hours, Kitty, that would have changed our lives.
14: No, Alan. They're not going to change our lives. Kitty. I marry you, Alan Trent, in front of a church.
16: And I marry you, Kitty Bing. For always. Until the day I die. Kitty, you're not eating. I can't. You shouldn't have come down here, Donnie. We should have said goodbye at the church.
14: I, I wanted to be with you, Alan.
16: Right to the law. Is there
14: anything
16: I can do for you, sir? No, uh, no, 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 thank you.
14: Well, I hope the dinner was good. Yeah, quite good. That's right. I always like to see a soldier eat before he's off. I suppose you're one of them as is leaving on the boat tonight, sir. Yeah, yes. Well, over the top of the best of luck, say I. What's that? Oh, the guns. You can hear them when the wind's this way. I always tell my husband that those guns make it like living right in the war, so to speak. I always say... Think... Yes, I know,
16: yes, of course. I wonder, would you mind bringing some more coffee?
14: Coffee? Not at all, sir. Take it right away, I will. Kitty, darling. Oh, Alan. Those guns. They frighten me, Alan. And the men we passed coming down. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them... And in a little while, you'll be gone, uh, gone with the
16: rest of them. You, yes. you... No, listen to me. They're going. I'm going. There's nothing to be done about that. There isn't much time left. And we must face the truth. And the truth is that in the few hours we have left, we must live a whole life together. We must play a game. And we must know it's a game. And and if it's a silly game, it's the best we can do. The game is this. You must pretend that there is nothing tense and desperate about these few hours. And that the only time I'll have to leave you, for the rest of our lives, is to buy us both a loaf of bread and a bottle of milk.
14: No, Alan. Do
16: you think you could pretend that, darling?
14: I'll try. What... What time do you really have
16: to leave, Alan? Very soon, dear. Five thirty. But until then, remember, we are together for the rest of our lives. Time now, Danny.
14: Soon. Yes, so soon.
16: Yes, I've got to leave.
14: Very well, Alan.
16: Look at me, Kitty. Something for me?
14: Whatever you wish.
16: Then sit here. Just where you are. Close your eyes, Danny. Now. Don't open them till I've gone. I love you. I'll always love you. Goodbye, Danny. Goodbye, my love. Goodbye. Phew. Pretty bad going out there tonight. Sounds like it. How's that trench coming along? Oh, slow but sure. Say, I meant to ask you, Gerald. Do you mind signing this card for me? It's an application for leave. Leave? At this time? Afraid I can't do it, Alan. Well, look here, Gerald. You said that last week. I want to go home. I, I want to see Kitty. I know you do, but I need you here, old man. You could get along me, without me for five or six days, couldn't you? Wouldn't lose the war? No, wouldn't win it either. I'd like to let you go, Alan. Well, you could if you wanted to. Alan! Sorry. I'm sorry, it's nerves. Forget it, will you? Captain Shannon. Yes, sir, in here. Uh, good evening. Evening, sir. How are you, Trent? All right, sir. Uh, keep your feet. Thanks. Shannon, we've reports of enemy activity on the northern sector. We've got to find out what it's all about. Yes, sir. Tonight's a good night. There's no moon. A raid. Yes. I want a dozen men. Can you take a party out? I can find six or eight, sir. We're rather depleted. I know. I know. How about Trent here? Trent? Well... I don't know, sir. I'll need him for some other... I want volunteers only. I'll go, sir. Glad to. That's the spirit trip. Now then, take a look at this man. Here's the sector. I should warn you that they'll be expecting you. And they'll make it as hot for you as they possibly can. Now, I would. (laughs) Ready, Alan? Ready. How much time? 30 seconds. Sorry, I got you into this, old man. <laughs> Look out! The oh, colonel said they would expecting us, didn't they? Oh, it won't take long. Over and back in three minutes, if all goes well. What is it now? Ten seconds. Good luck, Alan. Good luck, Gerald. All set? Anytime you are. Four, three, two, one. Over we go! Come on! Down!
14: Down, everyone! Lay down on them! Ah! Hello. Granny! Are you asleep, Granny? Kitty! What's the matter? Granny! Did you hear something? Only the wind, darling. Why? I... I thought I heard a scream. A long scream. Oh, oh, Granny. You've been dreaming, child. Yes. Yes. I thought. I thought I saw Alan. Alan with a black cloud hanging low over him. Like. Like a dark angel come down to. Oh. There, there. Go back to bed, my darling. You'll be all right in the morning.
16: Well, Captain Shannon, everything went off all right, didn't it? Yes, sir. Did you bring back a prisoner? Yes, sir. Good. What about the men? Lose any? Shannon, I asked you if you lost any men. Yes, sir. We lost four men. Four? One of them was... Alan Prince.
3: <laughs> you are hearing Merle Brown and Herbert Marshall in the Lux Radio Theatre presentation of The Dark Angel. Coming to you direct from Hollywood. We continue with the play in just a few moments. But now let's take a side glance at the screen capital. It's lunchtime in the Brown Derby. And as usual, this famous restaurant is being patronized by lots and lots of stars. And lots of visitors hoping to see them. Let's listen to a chat between Elsie, a girl who lives in Hollywood, and a visitor from out of town.
14: Oh, look, Elsie. That must be... Oh, it is Norma Shearer. you see her here often? Oh, yes. Lovely, isn't she? Oh, she's a real beauty. But lovelier than I thought she'd be. Boy, but she knows how to dress. And what skin. Nice skin is something a movie star just has to have, Alice. Oh, there's Joan Blondell over there. The girl in brown. Oh, yes. Well, her skin is certainly knockout, too. It just has to be. No one here can afford to have cosmetic skin. Why, if they had enlarged pores or little blemishes, it would just be too bad. I've read about how they use Lux Toilet Soap to remove cosmetics. Yes, and I know that's what they do. Remember Jane Bang? Yes. Well, her family's here now, and her brother works in one of the big studios. And he says Lux Toilet Soap is always in the star's dressing room.
3: Wise women all over the country are protecting their skin the way Hollywood's lovely stars do. Before they put on fresh makeup during the day, always before they go to bed at night, they use Luxe Toilet Soap. This simple, regular care protects the skin, keeps it clear, smooth, good to look at. And once again, Cecil B. DeMille. Dark Angel with Merle Oberon as Kitty Vane and Herbert Marshall as Alan Trent continues. Many months have passed since the night Alan disappeared into the darkness of the battlefield. Gerald, on leave again, has gone directly to Kitty. We find them sitting under a tree in Kitty's garden. It's
14: wonderful to see you again, Gerald. It seems ages since you were home.
16: It's been ages.
14: You're. you're looking well.
16: Oh, I'm fit enough. What about you, Kitty? I? You. you look tired.
14: Oh, no. No. I'm very well. Oh, <laughs> Gerald.
16: Kitty, darling. Don't cry. Please.
14: I'm so sorry. What a bad home coming for you. I wanted it to be different, happier for you.
16: No, it couldn't have been without Alan.
14: Gerald, when Alan died, it was the night of the 17th, wasn't it? Yes. What What time was it?
16: I don't know, dear. There, there was an explosion in... I never saw him again. I think it must have been shortly after...
14: Shortly after 11 o'clock. I know. He had wired me. He was expecting leave, and then...
16: He wanted leave, Kitty. He wanted to come home to you.
14: And he couldn't get leave?
16: I... I wouldn't give it to him. What? I wouldn't give it to him. I could have, but I didn't. I refused, Kitty. I killed Alan. What are you saying? It's my fault. If I'd done what he wanted me to, he'd be alive today. It's my fault, Kitty. I killed Alan. No.
14: No, Gerald. It was because I loved him so. Because he loved me so. It was too beautiful to last, Gerald. That's why Alan died. Our love was... Too beautiful. Too happy. Yes, Doctor? Bring Roger
18: Crane in,
14: please. Yes, sir. Roger Crane? Yes? Dr. Barton would like to see you.
16: Of course.
14: Give me your hand. I'll lead you in. Thank you. There you are. Roger Crane, Dr. Barton.
18: Come in, Crane.
16: Thanks. This way, Crane. There's a chair right in front of you. Here, let me help you. Oh, it's all right. I can find it, Doctor. I'm learning to feel my way around quite well now. Fine, fine. Nature takes care of a man, doesn't she, Doctor? If she takes away his eyes, she gives him a good sense of direction. Compensation, we call it.
18: You notice the difference between night and day yet? No, not yet. Well, that'll
16: come. Is that all I can ever hope for, Doctor? To notice the difference between night and day? Will I never see anything again? No, Crane, I'm sorry.
18: Oh, well. Oh, Crane, I want to talk with you. Not as the head of a rehabilitation hospital, but as man to man. Today, you leave us. I'm assigning an orderly to you, Mills. A pleasant fellow. who will take you home.
16: I'm not going home, Doctor. I have no home.
18: And your real name is not Roger Crane, is it?
16: It's as good a name as any other.
18: <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Well, Crane, I have a few things here that belong to you. Some money, a very disreputable looking pipe... Thank you. ...and a photograph. Photograph? Yes. So I've kept these things for a reason... Now, look here, my boy. You came to us from a German prison hospital. Your card read that all means of identifying you had been destroyed. I could have gone into that further, but I didn't.
16: I know that. I'm grateful.
18: Now, uh, this picture. I see there are three people in it. One of them is you. There's an inscription. To Alan and Gerald take care of each other? Kitty. Now, Crane, those three people are not strangers to one another. Who are the other two?
16: Why aren't you going home? Fear of being pitied, I suppose. Being a nuisance. I know what it means. I once saw blind men in a hospital. Stumbling, helpless. Now I'm one of them.
18: Is that your only reason?
16: Reason enough, Dr. Barton. I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. Take a cottage somewhere in the entry where I can be alone. I've always wanted to write. I think now might be a good time to stunt you.
18: And that's going to be your life, away from your home, your friends, away from everything that made life sweet. Yes. It's a lonesome existence you've picked for yourself, Crane.
16: I know it, but that's the way it's got to be. And I can't go back.
14: book reviews. There's an article out of young children's stories. They say he's blind. Blind? He dictates all his books. Poor fellow. I dare say he's happy, though. Courage does it. Courage, Kitty. It's too bad we're not all like him. We could, if I... I've tried, Granny. Yes, my child. You're Your desk, a deep, dark shadow. You're into the sun. Oh, Granny. I'll never forget, Adam. Never. Don't ask to forget, Kitty. Ask you to remember. But make your memories pleasant. Happy memories, not... I'll try, Brennan. Yes, Martha, Mr. Gerald's at the door, Miss Kitty. He asked if he might see you. Well, dear? Ask him to wait, Martha. I'll be right uh, Yes, Kitty. I'm glad you're going to see him. He's been very happy about you lately. Has he? He's still in love with you, darling. Excuse me, but... Of course. Dear. <laughs> Run along. Hello, Gerald.
16: Kitty, how are you? All
14: right. It's been a long time since you were here, Gerald.
16: I know. I, I didn't want to come. Why not? Well, you've been keeping to yourself so much lately, I, I thought perhaps you'd like to be alone as much as possible.
14: Thank you, Gerald. Shall we sit down out here? How is your mother?
16: Oh, she's very well. She's been worried about you, though.
14: Tell her I'm coming to see her soon, will you?
16: I wish you would, Kitty. The house hasn't been the same without you, really.
14: I... I was there a lot, wasn't I?
16: We want you there again. I know what it's been for you these last two years. It's been agony for me just thinking about you. I'd like to try to make you happy again. Will you let me try, Kitty?
14: Oh, Gerald, you're very sweet to me.
16: Mills?
6: Uh, yes, Mr. Crane.
16: Read that last paragraph back to me, will you?
6: Certainly, sir. <clears throat> the boys, tired of fishing, were splashing about in the sea, having left Jennifer on board to watch the lines. They'd swum a little distance away from the side when a puff of wind stirred the sails. The boat gave a quiver, and Jennifer jumped to her feet. Suddenly she realised to her horror that the boat was a moving. In terror, she ran to the side and shouted... Peter, Peter, we're drifting out to sea.
16: Mm-hmm. Huh. That's pretty exciting,
6: sir. Excuse me, asking, sir, but what's going to happen to her?
16: <laughs> I'm not sure yet. We'll call that the end of chapter six, Mills. Very good, sir. End of chapter. That'll be six. all for this afternoon. By the way, Mills, any word from Dr. Barton?
6: Oh, yes, he's coming down the eight o'clock train, sir.
16: Oh, well. Have some hot tea ready, Mills, and a good fire, if you can stir one up.
6: Yes, I'll have a fine fire, sir.
16: He's laid great guns for the time he gets here. Another cup of tea, Dr. Martin?
18: No, thanks. It's a nice place you have here, Crane. I like it. Very comfortable.
16: How's the new belong? You've made a start. <laughs> Fine. Well, it's been amazingly easy. I stretch out all day here in the study or back to the mills. Sometimes I laugh at myself. Imagine me stories for boys.
18: I to a picture a few weeks ago in the action of the Times... They wondered why. You didn't print your photograph.
16: I don't think my picture.
18: No, Crane. Uh, during the war, you were in the artist rifles, weren't you? Yes. You ever come across a chap called Shannon, Gerald Shannon? The company. Oh, that so. Oh. Crane, do you remember a photograph of yours I got at the hospital? A photograph of three. I remember. I think I saw two of those people again. Of oh, their pictures, I mean. Where? In the Sunday Times. I brought it along with me. The caption says they're Gerald Shannon and Kitty Vane.
3: Is that right?
16: Yes, that's right. What? What's it say about them? It says they're going to be married. Married? Oh, they are they I'm very glad. We used to be quite good friends. They've... They've been very close to each other. All their lives. I was hoping this would happen. When is the wedding?
18: June 3rd.
16: They'll
18: give him an engagement dance tonight at his home.
16: Oh, that's. that's fine, isn't it? I'm glad. Kitty? Kitty, where are you? Darling, what are you doing out here all by yourself?
14: Just thinking.
16: Happy darling.
14: Don't you know I am?
16: What were you thinking about?
14: Oh, everything. You and me, our marriage. And, and Alan? Joe
16: It's all right, darling. I understand.
14: I couldn't help but think of him tonight. But they weren't sad thoughts, Gerald. I was just thinking that if Alan could see us, In some way, he knew that I was going to marry you. I think he'd be happy, too.
15: My darling.
18: I say, Crane. Crane, what?
16: Oh, yes, Doctor.
18: You've been sitting there for over an hour without saying a word. Anything wrong on that?
16: No, nothing's wrong.
18: Wasn't
16: that talk about the picture, was it? I thought so. I'm
18: sorry. I guess I've gone off the deep end again.
16: That's no, all right, Doctor. All right. Oh, it's my own fault. It's been my own fault right from the beginning. I ought to put a thousand miles between her and me, but I didn't. I stayed here where I might be near her. Hear a word of her. I had it coming to me and now I've got it. lie to myself, Doctor. I pretended that I've made a life. But I was happy. Now I've found myself out. The work of all these years thrown away. And it's tough luck, old man. Sorry I let go. I ought to be down well ashamed of myself. I think I'll take a stroll in the garden and cool off.
18: Can I take you out?
16: No, I... I can find my way. I'm used to it now. Doctor, that picture in the paper, is she just as pretty as she always was? Yes,
18: she's very pretty.
16: I'm glad it's a good picture. I wish I could see it.
18: Hello, operator. I want to speak to Mr. Gerald Shannon. No, I don't know his number, but it's near Southwell. Yes, Shannon. Gerald Shannon. Yes. Thank you.
14: Gerald, where have you been?
16: I... I had a telephone call from a Dr. Barton.
14: Barton? I don't remember. Gerald, what's the matter? You look as if you've seen the ghost. Is... is anything wrong?
16: I... I don't know.
14: What do you mean? Gerald, that telephone call, what was it about? Can't you tell me, Gerald?
16: I've... I've got to tell you. It was about Alan. Alan? Alan's alive.
14: What are you saying? He can't be alive.
16: He is. I'm going to take you to him now.
14: Oh, Gerald.
3: for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Cecil B. DeMille speaking to you from Hollywood. Our play continues in just a moment. Standing beside me is a man who has been dancing in and out of trouble all his life. Soldier of fortune, war ace, member of the French Foreign Legion, political prisoner in Cuba, ammunition smuggler in Mexico. His, his adventures would provide material for a hundred Hollywood thrillers. Yet today, of all things, he is a dance director at Paramount Studios. But his courage never deserts him. He flew to Yuma yesterday and was married. (laughs) The man who fears nothing, Leroy Prince. You're wrong, C.B.
15: There are two things I am scared of. One is this microphone and the other is the mill.
3: (laughs) I don't know why. I've trusted you with some of my artist-odd jobs, including me uh, help make fox-hunting scenes. Mm, I sure remember that. Every time you got through shooting a scene of the dogs chasing a
15: fox, you made me chase the dogs back home. I'm a dance director, not a dog catcher. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to chase any Indians for you in your next picture, The Plainsman. Let Gary Cooper do that. I'm doing bigger things
3: now. Bigger than a DeMille production? <laughs> you must be starting another revolution. Are you?
15: Well, I might be. I'm picking the 100 most beautiful girls in Hollywood for Paramount's new picture. The big broadcast of 1937.
3: Dancing into trouble again, huh?
15: You said it. Because Hollywood's just jammed full of girls with trim figures and nice complexions. I mention nice complexions not only because this happens to be the Lux Radio Theater, but because good complexions are really important. And, of course, Lux toilet soap is what almost all of these girls with nice complexions use. As a matter of fact, I use it myself. Well, I guess that's beside the point. Well, I can tell you why the girls use it. There are so many good dancers, that if you want to get anywhere, you've got to stand out from the crowd. Nothing does that for a girl better than a really beautiful skin. And that's why more and more of these kids are using Lux Toilet Soap, because the nice-looking girls are the ones that get the brakes.
3: They use their heads as well as Lux. Like your brother Eddie.
15: Yes, <laughs>
3: and he still has a headache from it.
15: You see, ladies and gentlemen... Mr. DeMille wanted a novelty act for his picture, Madam Satan. I knew my brother could provide it. Eddie's stunt consisted of leaping over a piano, landing gracefully on his head. And rolling up to his feet, we set the scene. Eddie ran, sailed through the air, cleared the piano, and made a perfect landing on his head. Just as we guaranteed. How do you like it, I asked Mr. DeMille. It's all right, said Mr. DeMille. Looking steadily at Abby. Why doesn't he get up?
9: <laughs>
3: <laughs> he, he certainly used his head to get into pictures. Uh, so long, Maestro. <laughs> so long, soldier. the last act of The Dark Angel, starring Merle Oberon as Kitty Vane and Herbert Marshall as Alan Trent. It is one hour later. Dr. Barton and Alan stand facing each other across the table in Alan's cottage. The doctor has just told Alan of his telephone call to Gerald.
18: Why did you do it, Barton? Why? I had to, old man. I knew it was right and that it had to be done. Shannon ought to be here soon. I expect you'll want to speak to him alone. Yes, of course. I'll clear out. Did you tell him that I was blind? No. Only that you were here. Is he coming alone? He didn't say. I don't know what this will do to your feeling for me. I hope not too much. Good night, old man.
16: Gerald coming here.
3: No, Mills, Mills.
16: Yes, sir? Something else. Tell me something. Is this room just as it usually is? Why, uh, why yes, Mr. Crane. I must be absolutely certain. Have a good look. Is anything out of its usual place? Any furniture changed about? No,
6: sir. Nothing at all, sir.
16: Good. My pipe's here in the tray, if that's right. Matches. Cigarettes on the table? Yes, sir. And flowers in the bowl, right, uh, Right. What kind? What color? Uh, yellow, sir. Tea roses. Tea roses, I must remember that.
6: Anything else, Mr. Crane? No,
16: thanks, now. Oh, wait. There was a copy of the Times that Dr. Barton left.
6: It's here, sir. By the lamp, sir. Thanks.
16: Bring in some drinks soon, will you? I'm expecting a visitor. Very good, sir. Let me know as soon as he comes. But remember this. Say nothing about my eyes. Do you understand? Nothing. I don't want him to know that I'm blind. That's why I want everything in its place, so he will notice it.
6: Yes, sir. I won't mention a thing, sir. Not a thing. That's all, Mills. and a gentleman,
16: sir. A lady. Young? Uh,
6: Yes. Small, dark, and very pretty, sir. Very pretty. Shall I uh, show him in, sir? Yes. Very well, sir. Mr. Crane's in the city, old man.
16: Thank you. Alan. Kitty, how are you?
14: Oh, Alan.
16: Alan, old man. Gerald, it's so good good to see you. And Kitty.
14: Really? Really, you? I always knew. Sometime. Somewhere. That
16: we should meet again? Yes, I think I always knew it, too. The three of us. I'm so happy to see you both. Sit down, Kitty. Gerald, old man, sit down. You'll have a drink, won't you? Ellen, what? There's a cigarette right there on the table, Gerald.
14: Ellen, what's the matter?
16: Why? What do you mean?
14: You... You act so queerly. You treat us like... like strangers.
16: Oh, Kitty. But you must have so much to tell us. Yes, Alan. It's a long story. But I want to hear about you. How's Aunt Sheila? How's everything? (laughs) I'll keep you here for days, telling me. Just get your cigarette, Gerald. Not just here, huh? Thanks. I have some. Where have you been, Alan? Where? Well, I've been here. I've become a writer. Remember when we were kids? <laughs> I, I was going to be a Shakespeare. Well, I'm not a Shakespeare. I write books for children. I like doing it. And I, I guess I've done fairly well. I use the name Roger Crane.
14: But, Alan, why didn't you let us know? Mind
16: if I... Uh, uh, do you mind if I have a pipe? I'll show you around the garden later. I'm terribly proud of my roses. Just look at these yellow ones in the bowl. Pretty, aren't they? Um... T-Roses. Alan, what's
14: happened
16: to us? Yes, why are you holding us off, Alan? I saw the notice of your engagement in the newspaper. Nice picture, too. My love to you both. I hope you'll be very, very happy. So, that's it. That's why you sit there torturing us, torturing Kitty. For years, you've let us believe you're dead, and now we come here after all this time, and you talk of Rose's. Good Lord, man, you wanted to look at Kitty's face to know what you're doing oh, to her.
14: No, Go outside, Gerald. I want to speak with Alan alone. Very well. No, Daddy. no,
16: wait, Gerald. I'll be out in the garden.
14: Alan, tell me now.
16: Well, there's been a little to tell, really.
14: You suffer, darling. Something's hurt you. Won't you tell me? Why didn't you come home, Alan?
16: It's hard to tell you, Kitty. But I've got to. The war did something to me. I've changed.
9: Changed?
16: Yes, after all, the war doesn't leave you quite where it found you, does it? I spent months in a German hospital, months in a prison camp. When I came out... I wanted to be alone for a little while. To build a new life away from old friends and old memories. So I came here. I always meant to come back someday. But I like it here and... Well, I just didn't come back.
14: You... You stopped loving me. Is that it, Ellen?
16: I love you, Kitty. I loved you then. But in a different way, I suppose. I didn't have the courage to tell you.
14: I see. I understand. Forgive me. I've been tormenting you. But... Please, we won't... We won't see each other again.
16: It would be better if we didn't, Kitty.
14: Very well. But before that happens, I want to tell you that I loved you then... I love you now. I love you with all my heart. I've never loved anyone else. I never will again. Goodbye, Ellen. Goodbye, Kitty. Oh, Gerald.
15: Did he tell you anything?
14: No. Just... Just that he's changed... What's happened to him? What's happened to
16: him? Don't, Kitty. Don't, please.
14: Take me home. Take me home.
16: No. You've got to stay here. No. Yes, dear. You see, I just spoke to the doctor. The one who called me.
14: Well?
16: Go back to Alan, Kitty. He needs you. You love him, don't you? Go back inside and... Stand in front of him. Don't tell him you're there. Don't make a sound. Just watch him. Watch him? Go now, darling. Gerald. Go now, darling.
14: Yes, Gerald. Who's
16: that, Mills? Mills, come here. I was just about to call you. I've been thinking that you're going away. Leaving the country. I have reasons, unfortunately. And I'll have to let you go. I'm sorry, Mills, but... Mills. Are you there? Who is it? Who's standing there?
14: Alan. Oh, Alan, my darling. My darling, my darling. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me you couldn't see me? Kitty, don't. I'm here now, darling. Right here in front of you. Put your arms around me. Hold me. Hold me tight.
16: Stop. to think what it means.
14: It means life again. I've been dead. Oh, dearest. It was cruel of you. How could you know me so little?
16: Kitty, will you listen to me?
14: No, I won't. I won't. You told me once, never to go away. I never shall. You may as well face You'll never be alone again, darling. Wherever you are, I'll be with you. Always.
16: Always. Oh, Kitty. I never could escape from you, could I? Never. You were always popping up? Always. Thank God you popped up this time.
3: the Dark Angel. And in just a moment, you will hear further from our artists, Merle Oberon and Herbert Marshall. Speaking of artists in a more specific sense, I doubt if there is any painter in the United States better known than our guest tonight. With Charles Dana Gibson and Howard Chandler Christie, he made the beauty of the American girl famous the world over. He's also a motion picture pioneer. Ladies and gentlemen... Mr. James Montgomery Flagg.
17: Yes, you may not have noticed it, Mr. DeMille, but I was making two reelers when you were making your first great spectacle films. I produced and supervised 26 satirical comedies. They were billed as comedies because they claimed no one would know what a satire was. They thought it was a gentle goat's legs and horns. I even acted in some of them. I hope your acting was better than my painting. Well, D.W. Griffith offered me $30 a week to play villains. He's never withdrawn the offer. I made one called Perfectly Fiendish Flanagan. To take off on my pal, William S. Hart, I played Mr. Fiendish Flanagan, the scourge of the prairies. But this time I came out here from the United States to make a series of 12 portrait drawings of leading stars for photoplay play covers. I've already drawn your star tonight, Miss Mel Oberon. I've seen her in several pictures, but never had the slightest desire to make a portrait of her. There seemed to be a false glamour about her features. But as soon as I met her, I found Miss Oberon beautiful. The same charming, unaffected, real person she portrayed the night in the dark angel. In regard to my drawing these stars, they were invariably charming and gracious, and I fully realized the terrific claims made on their time, their unreal life under the glare of the world's bloodshot eye. My astonishment was great that they could still be unaffected and simple in their manner. My hat, if I wore one, is off to them and to your Lux Theater. Good night.
15: Before Mr. DeMille comes back with Miss Oberon and Mr. Marshall, I'd like to mention the names of some
3: of those beautiful stars Mr. Flagg came here to draw. You know them all. Ginger Rogers, Carol Lombard, Joan Crawford, Jean Arthur, Betty Davis, Claudette Colbert, Jean Harlow. It's a list of the screen's most famous beauties. We're proud to say that every one
15: of those stars I mentioned uses Lux toilet soap. That goes for tonight's lovely star, too. Next time you see Merle Oberon on the screen, notice her flawless complexion.
3: Remember, it's Lux Toilet Soap that keeps it smooth. And here's Mr. DeMille. And now we present Merle Oberon and Herbert Marshall as themselves. As Mr. Flagg has said, Miss Oberon is the same sincere, delightful person that she portrayed in The Dark Angel. And Herbert Marshall, who played the soldier, did in real life serve with distinction in the war. In fact, the very name, Herbert means bright warrior. Merle over Herbert Marshall.
16: Well, just a minute, Mr. Demille. You have me a little mixed up. Before the play, I was a man who hated to fight.
3: During the play, I did, and now you say my name proves I love it, and I don't. (laughs) Names are deceiving. Uh, Sassel means dim-sighted. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Yet out of uh, 3,000 people at a Roman banquet, I can detect the one extra girl on the back of the set who's chewing gum. <laughs> and merle means
14: nightingale, but I never sing in my pictures.
3: Hmm. I'm told you sing and speak in many languages. French, Spanish, Russian, even Hindustani.
14: That's from years, uh, that's from living years in India, Mr. DeMille. It was there that I first saw the picture of the Dark Angel. It was a silent version with Ronald Tolman and Zuma and I long to be an actress and do it myself.
3: Well, you realize your dream magnificently, both on the screen and tonight in the Lux Radio Thank Theater. You. It's your best performance so far. What's your next?
14: It's called, for the time being at least, In Love and War.
3: What's yours, Bart? All fair? <laughs> <laughs> now, next week I start in Portrait
16: of a Rebel with Catherine Hepburn. Who's the rebel, you or Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's Catherine. But I was a rebel once. My family wanted me to be an accountant. I wanted to be an actor. <laughs>
3: That—that's one rebellion I approve of. Oh, thank you. To the Lux Radio Theater. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. Heard on tonight's program was "A Pretty Girl Is Like a Melody" from the Music Box Review. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well,
1: peoples, it's that time again that uh, we have to. Say goodbye and cut a trail. And, uh, so I hope you've enjoyed what I've put together for you today. I think, I think next week I'm doing a day in the life of Dennis Day. Gosh, I just love Dennis Day. (laughs) Uh, and actually his name is something McNulty. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you by the time I get my, uh, Program set up but he's an Irish Guy in real life So um I didn't know James Day was Irish He sure is Really Uh huh And um Poor fellow, He died of Lou Gehrig's disease Wow And he had ten children Oh, but I'm supposed to be closing out the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> folks, I'm not drunk. I, I promise you, I'm not drunk. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh just wanted to make a correction on the podcast thing. Our arts has its own podcast now. It's not part of the...
11: It is part
1: Well it is but I mean What I was going to say uh, Mr. Rush Rider <laughs> Is that it's You don't have to go to Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway To find it and listen to it It has it's own little podcast now Called Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday So if you're only interested in the Old time radio you, know, you can listen to it's own podcast right. Without having to listen to the other ones Well, hey, I mean, you know, my, the the podcasts that I do, uh, that, you know, they're, they're the best out there, see. So, you know, who wants to listen to anything else? You know, I'm on, I'm on Snap and I'm on Arc. You know, I'm just, oh, I'm just so important and so arrogant. I never. (laughs) So arrogant. (laughs) No, anyway, y'all have a good week, folks. I'm just, uh, carrying on. And uh, maybe I won't be sniffing so much next week, but uh, I don't know where you are right now, but here in good old Tennessee, we're having spring early.
6: (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody.